Thanks for downloading this podcast. podcast. It's for personal use only and must not be rebroadcast, reproduced or used in any form without permission. Tell your friends they can get their own copy by searching iTunes for Radio Le Mans or visiting RadioLeMans.com. The world's longest running motorsport magazine show, Midweek Motorsport. News, features, special guests and analysis from the experts. Formula One, sports car and endurance racing, rallying, touring cars and bikes. If it has wheels and an engine and they keep score, it's on Midweek Motorsport. everybody and welcome along to series 12 episode 40-40 of Midweek Motorsport just after 8 o'clock here in the UK. It's been a lovely, lovely early autumnal day today, sun shining here in East Northamptonshire and it's been fabulous. Uh, and on a packed programme tonight, Tim Gray up in London, we have what? We have all the usual features and a selection of special guests. Excellent, that's good. And are you going to give the listener a clue or are we just going to crack on? Uh, we'll have some news. All That's right. a usual feature. We'll have Nick Damon. We'll have Graham Goodwin. We'll have Marshall Pruitt. Uh, we'll have the unusual Johnny Palmer. Yes. Uh, and we have two special guests who are the scholarship winners uh, of Team USA for this year uh, who raced in the Formula Ford Festival at the weekend. Uh, albeit a race which neither of them won because that went to Joey Foster again. Again. First one, did he, did he win it in 1983? Am I right in saying? No, don't be silly. He wasn't born until 1988-ish. He won it a long time ago. Yeah. He's been going for a very long time. He's won Any a lot of Water Haze as well. Sorry? He's won a lot of Water Haze as well. Which is in a couple of weeks' time. Mm. Uh, yes, that is one of our traditions that we get the Team USA Scholarship guys on. Quick uh, bit of housekeeping. Chris Suku has got his goat and curried it. Uh, he's uh, got no apologies for absence tonight. Hello, Chris. Ryan, listening live this week. No meetings. Uh, and hello to Nicky Swan. Alexander Orkin uh, is listening in tonight, as is Michael Denny on the road listening Live. Thanks for the podcast at the weekend. He said uh, it was soundtrack to his first half marathon. How did you get on, Michael? Need to know. Need to know. Hello to Carol Brink, to our very own Gearbox girl, Shea Adam, who's just got home in time in a chilly Florida. Sounds like it might have been warmer here uh, today. Uh, right Turn Lover is re-listening to the 24 Hours of Le Mans podcasts uh, from 2017, but interrupting to listen live in central Switzerland, Hop Suisse, uh, this week. Uh, and thank you to everyone who has uh, mentioned their menu tonight uh, here. It was homemade rabbit black pudding, uh, leek and cider pie with a, a suet and leek crust, uh, some uh, cauliflower and blue cheese mash and some green beans. And it was fantastic. And dessert? Uh, yes, yes, it, we did have dessert. It was... Uh, 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 raspberries with meringue and whipped cream. Oh, very nice. Very nice indeed. And you have a piece of housekeeping too, Tim. Yes, uh, I'm not going to explain why, but recently I was re-listening to the 2013 Radio Le Mans Christmas quiz. Mm-hmm. 
And I spotted that during John's team's uh, guess the driver round, yep. uh, John used a proper noun, which is against the rules. Ah. So uh, we are retrospectively docking John's team 10 points from the 2013 quiz. Excellent. Does that mean we lost now? Uh, Nick's team, however, is also being docked 10 points uh, <laughs> because he quite out of character and he may want to defend himself on this uh, but he quite out of character suggested that uh, I am a very model of a modern major general was from Aida oh dear from the Pirates of Penzance oh dear so retrospective uh, penalties but result not effective result not effective okay I'm pleased that that's the probably the most important uh, piece of penalty that needs to be talked about uh, tonight. Well, there might be penalties uh, later on as well. Oh, it's the cup uh, to tonight. Prove, to prove that we are live, it is yeah. nil-nil after 16 minutes. Yeah, fantastic. Play the jingle and let's get cracking. All the latest motorsport news from around the world. Midweek Motorsport. Uh, where are we starting tonight? The papers have been shuffled. We could be going anywhere. What's the top story? We're going to start in Japan, land of Mothra and soy sauce. Right. Uh, where the super finale to Super Formula was uh, cancelled because of a super typhoon, Nick. Yes, it was. Uh, I, I can I first of all say I, I, get, I, get, I think this is the second uh, Gilbert and Sullivan uh, error I've made in, in in recent years. So I may need to go back and uh, perhaps join the doily cast and say my light operetta a bit more because uh, this is just not not on, is it really? And, and frankly, you are our our musical theatre correspondent, so really no. you should be doing better than that. I, I, I just, I'm, I'm actually ashamed of myself for you. Um, Have you yeah, picked so, up on the musical theatre reference in the top story? What with the super typhoon, the super super of the else? Earlier than that, Mothra. Mothra. Japan, no, Mothra land of soy sauce and Mothra. Yes. Is a line from South Pacific. The Book of Mormon. Oh, I haven't seen that. I can't afford it. It's too expensive. The tickets are 120 quid. They're not. Just turn up and get some returns for about 40. Right, can we move on by any chance? Yes, anyway, back to the story again. Uh, yes, so Pierre Gasly, who, who made way uh, theoretically for Brendan Hartley uh, over in Austin, I'm sure more of which later, uh, turned up at Suzuka, ready to try and make up the half point he was behind uh, his Japanese rival, whose name, as you can tell, I don't know. Um, and only to find that it was a bit rainy, a bit blowy, and they called off both the races. So he had completely wasted his time and missed a Grand Prix and still came second. In the championship, yes. Yes. Um, but he, but can, I think having criticised Nick, Tim, we do have to praise him here. Yes. Be, because he was absolutely right about the two drivers who will be driving for Toro Rosso at, uh, at Mexico. And for the rest of the season. And for the rest of the season. Well, that's what they've now said. Yep, they've now said that um, poor old Danny Kivier, who actually put in a reasonable performance the weekend, so he lost, he didn't even drive a couple of the sessions, one because he had... Um, the test driver in, and then, then he had a problem. Uh, actually, uh, got a point, did reasonably well, and um, yeah, and then he's uh, basically out. And more importantly, he's out forever. This is goodbye forever, Danny. This is you know, we, we thank you very much, but no thanks. Uh, your career as an in F1 with uh, the Red Bull family is over. Um, so for you, F1 is over. <laughs> for you, for you, Danny, the. Uh, F1 is over. Um, yeah, um, yes, um, it, it, it was pretty obvious, though, from the interviews that were being done with senior 
Toro Rosso personnel, um, when the uh, when the when his name was mentioned, uh, uh, the the points were completely sidestepped. Um, I th- although I have to say, I thought Brendan Hartley did pretty well, did very well, uh, and actually, in a very Trustwell-esque uh, piece of uh, post Grand Prix uh, interaction, I uh, I did go back and have a look at the. Uh, the times that Kvyat and Brendan were putting in and on the long runs there was nothing between them at all and in fact actually towards the end of the tyre life uh, Brendan was quicker than Kvyat yeah the, but the actual result that, that, that really matters is he finished 27 seconds down the road and a couple of positions further back and um, yes yeah, so in fairness though some of that down, did last. yeah I was going to say some of that down to the fact that he had to take 147 grid penalties, none of which were his, his, his own making. Well, no, and also it's kind of questionable. Like, was it has he taken those grid penalties in Gasly's car? It's very confusing which car he was actually driving and which car he'll be driving in uh, in next weekend. But I'm pretty sure he'll get a, a fair crack with the whip. Um, they're, they're, they're obviously now saying that um, that he will be that that will be the pairing for the remaining four races of the season. Um, which so not is, just not just Mexico for the whole no, of the season. The whole wow. the, that's what they said to, uh, today. Um, I wow. think that's not necessary. I think that's actually, if you're going to, if you're going to effectively say we don't care about the points this year, which they've mm. done by getting rid of Carlos Sainz and having two rookies in, surely why don't you use the chance to try more people in in race situations? Well, you unless know, those the t- can, unless those are the two that are going to race for them next year. But they can't possibly know that about Brendan. We, we all know he's yeah, he's very good, but they can't possibly know he's going to be the one they want to have in. For F1, yeah, you know, the Gasly's done a lot of mileage for them. You know, it's 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 a situation Unless. where we, we would expect we would expect um, Brendan to to be good enough. We would expect him to significantly improve the areas which he had problems with um, uh, last weekend. Last weekend, and the car is a pretty now at the back end of the development race. It's towards the back end of the grid, so we're not going to see. You know, Kvyat got tenth, but four cars broke down, which is which these days is quite rare. Um, so you kind of think he's going to be, uh, be hardly be lucky to get more than an eighth or ninth or tenth. Not well, really... again, except that people are getting towards the end of engine lives and things like that as we get towards the end of the season. Yeah, put... but I, I think <clears throat> as you say, the only thing we really need to do is, is to is to judge him against what Gasly does. Um, so the, the other thing I was he... going to say, Nick, was um, it may be, of course, and and this is no comment from my point of view on. Uh, Brendan's performance it may be that they know they've got someone else for next year and Brendan is literally just a placeholder and they don't well, want it to be Kimi I guys. can't think of anybody that anybody they could have next year who's not already you know who's who who would who's not in F1 so if somebody's not out of F1 then they're not in F1 all the other seasons are finished and don't clash so why not give them three races at the end yeah, and why point. would you not use Kriat as the placeholder if you needed to Mm. Uh, I, I think there's more to that than than, than meets the eye. There's clearly something. But they just they just they just got fed up with him. I think I think he, he was he's been on a, yeah he hasn't so much been on a downward spiral. He's just been on a downward escalator for the, ever since the he was dropped back in the fourth race of last year. Um, yeah, he's very unlucky. He was promoted too soon. Um, he's okay in his first year with a difficult car, and then obviously Max turned up and uh, set the world on fire. And obviously also science has, has proven his quality. Can, can I just talk something? Well, science to me, that, I, I know everybody will talk about Verstappen. I thought science was sparkling in the race. I thought that was possibly one of, if not the drives of the race. And I still maintain that science is the best of of those young drivers. And I think we'll see that in in the in the coming years. Um, just one f- final thing on Toro Rosso. Could it be that the external, there are external influences on having Brendan there? And whether that's money or influence of a, another kind, 
maybe from Porsche. I don't know. I, don't know. I mean, I, I think you know. I think it's a situation where you know he's been part of the Red Bull family. They, they have some ideas about him. He's obviously much better now than he was when he left the single seater program. He's doing a, effectively doing a single seater conversion course, as you rightly said, John. The, the skills that have served him so well in um sports cars i.e fuel conservation and tire conservation are serving him well in f1 what he just needs to do is get his head around things like qualifying yeah. and no one should expect anyone to be able to do that in you know one weekend it's just not possible so giving him two weekends is a great idea especially as he knows this track i don't suppose he had, did he ever was he in sports cars where we ran into argos i can't remember whether he knows brazil or not uh no, no. And he probably hasn't done Abu Dhabi either. But I mean, that, that's yeah. They, they actually have a chance, obviously, between Mexico and um, Brazil anyway to, to get some serious simulator time in. Anyway, to solve those problems. But um, you know, I, I think if I was probably if I was Toro Rosso, and I think you make a good point, they may have pretty much wanted to decide on these two. There's two things I would say about that. First of all, I would, if I could, try other people, see what they're yeah. like, and. I still, much as I love Brendan, and I also think Pierre has a lot of talent, I'm still not sure that's the pair of drivers I want to have run leading a works team next year. Okay. Uh, moving on, uh, Tim, do you want to jump in here? Or uh, do I do, to... yes. Go on, uh, I first of all, I'll answer Alexander Orkin's question. Uh, it's Yeovil Town versus Chelsea under-21s, and it's now 1-0 uh, uh, to Yeovil. Uh, Not playing on the slope anymore, of course. Hewish Park, lovely ground. Uh, we'll move on to uh, the Formula One race at the weekend. And yeah. uh, uh, to paraphrase uh, the great man, let's get ready to grumble. Yes, indeed. Very good. My, my, given, given that uh, what I, I, you kind of realise F1 fans are going to conservative lot, but... My heck, they don't like any change, do they? Well, do you know what, though? Well, the outpouring the dr- of whinging about trying something a bit different, honestly. But the drivers didn't get into it. It was only uh, Danny Rick and Lewis that got into it. The rest of them, you'd have thought somebody had just drowned their puppies. Well, in fairness, I think they're not riddled with personality. Fernando must have been quite up for it, surely. He likes a bit of American razzmatazz. But no, I thought I thought I quite liked it. I thought it was a bit different. You know, it's it's you know, Martin Brother. It's going to be havoc with their preparation. Shut up, Martin. They're professionals. They'll be able to get in the it's car. Much better than the grid walk. I'll tell you that now. Um, well, it depends who's doing it, obviously. Um, but um, of course, Nick. If only they hadn't gone another way. Uh, so many times, so many options, and so many other ways they've gone. Uh, but um, no, I, I liked it. I, I wouldn't want to see it every race. But I thought as a one-off or as a thing for the American Grand Prix, great. Yeah, 75, 75 grand for the announcer, Kenny Giga. Well, you know, in F1 terms, that's what, three paddock passes. So it's True enough. But by the way, a quick uh, uh, a quick final point about uh, Brendan Hartley. He will have no time for sim work. Uh, this week, Mexico. Next week, WEC China. Then Brazil F1. Then WEC. Then F1. He actually has no weekends off at all. Well, you don't have to sure have not. sim time at the weekend. You can do it during the week. <laughs> it's going to fly from these places to these other places. They're quite a way away. Yeah, so yeah. Mexico, China, then back to Brazil, then to Bahrain. Oh, I suppose Bahrain to... Oh, yeah, but that's an easy one, isn't it? How annoying. <laughs> yeah, but he's going to have to go back to... Italy. To Toro Italy. Rosso, yeah. Uh, anyway, moving on. Um, <laughs> let's get ready to grumble like that, like that a lot. Very good. Uh, Max Verstappen has signed a new contract. 
I know, that was a surprise, wasn't it? Isn't that interesting, though, that they, that they have deliberate... And, and there was no bones made about it. You know, they could have said, oh, you know, this is funny. But basically, they're putting him on a different pit stop strategy. That's effectively what they're doing, aren't they? Well, they're, they're also... They're also, if you kind of... Now it's pretty obvious that they were pre- preempting this with their statement the pre- last week that they wanted to build a team that they that they could build the team around Verstappen. Well, Verstappen could build the team around him mm-hmm. himself. He's signed up for one extra year, but all those three years between now and 2020, he's getting a shed load more cash. So yeah. let's not feel sorry for him. Um, so it, it's not just an extension; it was a renegotiation of his current yes, contract. Exactly. Yeah. He's not going to get an extra year without getting a, 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 a big amount of money. It kind of he's basically said to himself well Fettel's tied to 2020 at Ferrari we confidently expect that Lewis will sign one more um, contract uh, in 2018 which may take in 2020 also that's when all the new regulations kick in so that's when you want to be a free agent um, he obviously feels more confident that Red Bull I mean let's be honest Red Bull that car's not far off and if they um, if Renault can find 30 horsepower more than than uh, uh, Mercedes over the over the winter, and that it's possible they can get the qualifying mode done. Then, then they're going to be pretty much batting on an even an even playing field next year. So that's fine for what year one. Obviously, there's questions about what Renault will be doing moving forward, but perhaps Honda will get their act together. There's every reason to think they may do out of the spotlight. Um, so it's, it's quite a canny move, especially I suppose one of the advantages that Max has is he's very young. Which means he hasn't got the, the next move. For even the move after this move isn't his last go. Yeah. He's got like three moves or four moves to find the right position. Why? Uh, why has Danny Rick not re-signed? Because I think Danny Rick can see the writing on the wall, and Danny Rick is going to end up not, not an actual number two like Raikkonen, but effectively a number two. Um, you know, he 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 realizes that they're now focusing around Verstappen. You know, Verstappen got the new engine. You know, they're, they're trying trying to wave that problem away. The new slightly better engine, which you will have for the rest of the season. Um, so I think Danny Rick is well. He's he's there next year. Then coming out of that, he will obviously be desperately trying to get Valtteri Bottas' job, mm. uh, or even Kimi Raikkonen's job. I mean, Kimi Raikkonen, they can't keep him playing Kimi Raikkonen just because he, you know, what what was decided at the weekend. And if I'm jumping on, I apologise. Was that Mercedes were the constructors' champions again? Yes, and very well deserved. And the reason they're constructors' champions: two drivers who can score points. Who are trying to win a race? Admittedly, yeah, you know, yeah. Valtteri's had a Valtteri's had a poor last six races. Oh, he's been forget, awful. In the first seven races, um, they had you know it was Valtteri and, and, and Lewis were neck and neck, and that's when the points were being picked up. Now, even without the total implosion of the, la- of the three races prior to the last one with Ferrari, Ferrari were not going to win the constructors no. championship because they no. did the old Ferrari thing and didn't have two decent drivers. So, frankly, whilst I feel that, you know, Fettel has been a combination of impetuous and unlucky, I have no sympathy for Ferrari not winning the Constructors' Championship because, basically, they decided that before they started. They weren't going to employ the right people to do it. Uh, again, though, we saw the frailty and the lack of pace of Bottas at the weekend. He's, yes, he just I wasn't ju- on it. Well, I just think what we are seeing... And... You can't drive a car that isn't performing. Lewis drives round it. That car was horrible. That Mercedes was horrible in There's the slow only stuff. only two people who can drive that car. And we've said this so many times, and I hate to be a broken record. There's only two people who I know. We haven't seen whether Stappen can do that yet. There's only two people you would put in a car that's not good enough and think he could win, and that's Alonso and Hamilton. And yeah, I actually agree. think Hamilton is in a class of his own. I think the, the, what Hamilton's done since, since the, um, the break has been 
slightly hidden by Ferrari's own uh, problems. But frankly, he's effectively moved head and shoulders above everyone else. I, I think that race at the weekend... won the World Championship. I think that race at the weekend, though tedious though it was, bar a couple of incidents, again, it was there was one or two bits of good racing, but really it was terribly tedious. But... I thought that might have been one of Hamilton's best races ever. I thought he was outstanding at the weekend. He was, he was, he was brilliant in Singapore, not dropping it after getting the chance. Yeah, you know, the, yeah, yeah. The, pre- the pressure you've got in those situations. You know, he was clever enough not to go for the win in Malaysia. You know, he's, he's running in Japan. He has just moved He's in that a good kind of... place. He's in a good pl- We've said it on this programme before. That well, I, the... think, I think there was, yeah, there was some really interesting... Sorry, 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 sorry. Uh, no, uh, we've, we've said it on this programme before. The person most likely to beat Lewis is Lewis. And and when he when he's in a good state of mind, he's in a very good state of mind. Well, by by the way, um, Brendan Hartley did drive for Porsche in Brazil in 2014. That makes him even more valuable for Toro Rosso. Yeah. Um, I think there was a very... I, I, I'm sure most people read this, but there was a very interesting um, interview done with him where he said that the energy he was wasting yes. on fighting Nico Rosberg, he could now use to make the car go faster. That is extremely and, self-aware. And it's and it's you know it's, and it also shows how badly wrong Mercedes got it and how lucky they were there was no competition. Yes. Yeah, and that car is still an absolute pig in the slow it's, corners. It's the second best car. It's the best car on Saturday and for the first half of the season it was the second best car on the Sunday and now it's the third best car on the Sunday. Where do you want to go? Are we going to have a quick word about the absolutely correct decision to give the place yeah. back? We are, because it was the correct decision. Of course it was. And uh, I can't understand why anyone possibly complained about it. The problem, the the problem with it was, the uh, first of all... within that race, of course, was uh, Bottas, uh, who also uh, gained an advantage and a position by uh, going off the track. He lost it at the next corner. On, and then Driven slowed the down and let... Uh, yeah let the car pass again yeah. so uh, and, and I'm sorry uh, if you disagree here you are wrong because every other track limits in, infraction was not making up a position and um, we've had this before at this circuit whereby uh, the answer is you do what you like on the exit of corners really um, but you can't cut an apex uh, Bob Barfields has said that before for IMSA Eduardo Freitas has said that for WEC um, I don't necessarily agree that, that going very wide at 19 doesn't give you an advantage because you can take more speed to the apex. And that's a tricky corner with it being off off camber, so it is an advantage. But, but it's also very dirty out there. Uh, depends how many times you go off, doesn't it? But, but that that aside, um, you cannot... Uh, Raikkonen didn't squeeze him. Raikkonen was in front and was on the, on the racing line. He was absolute... And he wasn't even right on the kerb. And still... Uh, Verstappen went off track and I, I, I was watching the Sky coverage uh, and immediately it happened uh, Martin Brundle said well he's going to have to give that back and and I also agree with Martin when he said guys you can't just change the playing surface you can't move the goal line in the middle of a, of a, of a in the last five minutes or the last two minutes of a football match the guy was off the track end of I think it's it, it, it's a shame because he drove well, but fourth place would have been good, third place would have been better. But frankly, it wasn't that wasn't on that overtake, and he was off the track, Nick. Yeah, I mean, I think I, I, I 
it's it's a perfect internet storm, isn't it? You've got the yeah, probably nice. the most popular person with the most fanatical fan club in Max Verstappen against the most popular person with the most fanatical fan club in Kimi Raikkonen and Ferrari. So it was it was absolutely whipped up in a frenzy of uh, of memes and photographs. The fact was that um, yeah, he gained an advantage. He needed to give it back. I mean, but the issue is is that the design and I do have sympathy because of the perceived inconsistencies the inconsistency perceived because the track delineation is really really hard to work out where it is well and, and, and the curbs are flat properly. and there's too much runoff and it, and i absolutely I, I you know had a long chat with the team was, usa boys about I, I this remember, today. i remember there being was an absolute chaos at kota event some time ago in imsa or um WEC because of track limits as well wasn't there a really bad race there? I remember listening to Jeremy going on. on well, we, we, because, be, because Bo Barfield said, as on the end, exit of corners, there's no track limits until you hit the wall, and then that's your problem. But if you cut an Apex, then I'm going to ping you for track limits. And he cut the Apex. He was off the mm. track. Uh, Joshua Jones says this. Most people I've heard grumbling about the penalty have said, but it spoiled the show. To which I say, for goodness sake, this might be a show... But you have to remember, it's still a race and it still has rules. And Joshua, I could not agree more. Shall we move on? I've got one more thing. Does, it, does a goal so count if, if, if the ball's gone over the line first, then comes back into play and gets scored? No. Oh, you mean if it goes out of play? Yeah. Yes. The ball's out. Oh, but it was only just out and it was the last five minutes. And I was pushing it. I was pushing and the won, ball round the defender the at the time. <laughs> and, it, and, and, you know, it, it, was, it, was, it was to win the game. No, sorry. Mm. You're absolutely right. Tim, go ahead. Uh, who does Max Verstappen blame? Everybody. Uh, an individual dad. steward. One of the stewards yes. always does nasty things against him. He hates him. It's not fair. Gary Connolly is his name. Gary Connolly is his name. Um, I've got a suspicion that Tim Mayer might have been in that. And I it's have Mika dropped... Salo. Who, who's, been, who's been receiving death threats? You've already answered the question. It's Mika Salo. Oh, really? What for, really, someone sent a death threat. Oh, oh, people need to get a grip on Nick, life. Nick, <sighs> Nick, yeah, it's the internet age. Yeah, yeah, fair enough. That's ridiculous. Says us on the internet, of course. I know, but we are of age. <laughs> we are responsible journalists. Well, yeah, let's not push that one. All right. So anyway, a quick, quick question for you, John. Now yeah. you've seen where all the track limits are. Is that how you're going to approach the uh, race in two weeks' time? Absolutely. Absolutely. Until I'm let's told it. not to. Let's, I'm gonna. I, I'm literally gonna sit there with Martin and get him to ping you ten times. <laughs> I've, I, I'm very I've, good friends with the Creventic clock of the course. This could be a lot of fun. I shall be making very good friends with him as well, making sure he has lots of trigrothin and tea. <laughs> um, I've got, I've got my Aston Martin race suit. Oh, and lying. it's a bit surprising. What? Because it's baggy. I'm not going to tell you. You'll have to wait <laughs> to see. It's, yeah. it's something very impressive. Uh, really from, from, <laughs> showing off. from my point from my point of view something very impressive and personal to me but anyway oh, he's got an Aston Martin cod piece I can't, I can't see it uh, and uh, shall we do a bit of bikes uh, yes because yes, uh, World Superbikes which doesn't really matter anymore because it was over months ago uh, raced you in have no- Spain at the weekend did they all oh, right okay hands up didn't notice sorry <laughs> guess who won Jonathan Ray, twice. Yes. Yeah, exactly right. Guess who's still the champion? Jonathan Ray, still. Yes. Uh, any any non-Brits on the podium? Yes, Melandry got on it once, I think. Well done, Matt. Um, and Chaz Davis and uh, Tom Sykes Tom were also on the podium Sykes, at yeah. various points. 
That was Hereth, wasn't it? Yeah. It was the Circuito uh, de Hereth, which I think suits. Dry me. sack. It used to be one. Uh, there's still a corner called Dry Sack. Mm-hmm. Bit of sherry. Uh, and MotoGP? Yes, that is also um, suddenly spun on its head and, and much as, as, as it's Can I now... just say... Ah! No, there's no time. Ah! Three fantastic races at the weekend. Mm-hmm. I could not take my eyes off any of them. And I didn't watch them live. I had them all on the DVR. And the MotoGP race was absolutely sparkling. Yes, and uh, absolutely the the thing that Mar- Marquez needed. Because obviously he won. Andrea so the only person who can really uh, compete with him, was down in 13th after a poor qualifying and a poor first lap. Um, so it is now very much a situation where Marquez... Need, really needs to stay on the bike and pick up points, which, he's, which you've seen him do before, and he will uh, back, win his championships back to back in his fourth MotoGP championship after a fantastic race, um, which I thought was quite amusing because Valentino Rossi said he had the, he realised now he has an old sort of an old man, a vintage attitude towards racing, mm. because all these youngsters basically are just crashing into everyone the whole time yeah. and not worrying about it. And uh, he's still it, got it, the problem with the bike when it's full of fuel. That that Yamaha quite, still doesn't like time. turning. Something's happened. Something happened. They've obviously something's, either everyone else has improved or something changed because the first six races of the season, when Maverick went off so quickly and then Valentino kind of caught up, that was the class bike of the field. But the last, well, since recent May, it's been way behind. Alternately, the the Aprilia, Aprilia, God, if only the Ducati and the um, the Honda. So it's a it's a very weird thing how that's dropped off. Um, um, serious question. Somebody tweeted me at the weekend. Why on BMW in Motor GP? Um, BMW aren't, aren't a works team in uh, World Superbike anymore either. Oh, are they not? No, they haven't. They, they, the works team pulled out four years ago. There are bikes in there, but they're not works bikes anymore. Hmm. Um, it's a good question, and my guess is money. Yeah, okay. I, I, mean... I, think also, I think also, if you look at the profile of BMW and the bikes they sell, um, they had a nice Halo project, the S1000RR. I'm sure they sell a few hundred of, but we all know where the money's made, and that's in the GS. Yeah. Um, so it's 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 it, you're not going to be selling the bikes that they make. Ducati are a sports bike manufacturer. You know that's what they're famed for. Even that even their all-purpose bikes are sporty. Mm. So it, it, it's in their interest to be in superbikes and in um, uh, in racing in general. Whereas and Honda obviously has a huge amount of sporting as well. But you know it's it's uh, my guess is that BMW really don't see the value, and they do a lot of as you know because we, we get bombarded by the information. They do an awful lot of sort of adventure bike tie-in, don't they? Because that's what their their big cash cow is. Uh, just before we let uh, Nick go, one uh, more story from Tim. One more story from Japan as well. All right. Uh, World Touring Cars apparently, oh, big over there. apparently still exists, yes. and uh, they're having to change their timetable for this weekend's race in Japan uh, due to the typhoon, which has meant that all their cars and uh, pit equipment, which is being uh, shipped from uh, China, China yeah. uh, has been delayed by a day. So they're going to qualify on Sunday morning and have two races in the afternoon. Okay. So, so basically, that almost makes it worth that one day. Oh, hang on, just one day. Friday practice yeah. was now on Saturday afternoon, mm. at the low, later time of three fifteen. What are you doing at the weekend, Nick? Uh, oh, I'm re- recovering you've from my very. That means you've got to go to Brands Hatch now. Yeah, you see, it's too late. <laughs> you've got. No, to, I've got. You've got to come to Brands Hatch. Ask me why. 
John, why do I need to get a Brands Hatch? Uh, because I've got three races at Brands Hatch at the weekend. Have you? Yeah. What, on Saturday? Uh, qualifying in a race on Saturday and two races on Sunday. In I'm the, definitely busy on Sunday. In the MSV uh, Club Day, I am in the Sang Young Pickup Sport Pickup Challenge. Which I'm very excited. Uh, it's the last round of the season. Is it a bit like a civil service Jim Carner where you have to drive around the track once, stop, pick up um, a selection of routiles, drive the tip, drop them off, come back, come around, pick up the dog. I knew yeah, you'd it... be sarky about this. <laughs> I knew you'd Job. be sarky. Six speed, 200 horsepower, gearbox, no flappy paddles here. This is proper driving. I'm hoping for rain. I'm hoping for rain. Four wheel drifting, all wheel drive. Come on. Is it, is, is it, is it tuned by the amount of concrete you put at the back on, on the flatbed? Stop it. It's, it's proper racing. You want to see, they're racing in New Zealand as well. There's a gr- there's a, some great footage of them racing at Pukakoki. They like a Ute there. They do. Well, this is uh, yeah. It's it's not quite as slammed as that. So this uh, it's going to be quite interesting. It, it's it's more um, farm vehicle, isn't it, than the uh, New Zealand ones? No, no, it's exactly the same truck. Uh, Nick. Yes. Picking number between one and twelve. Seven. Okay, so Nick believes that you'll put in the gravel at Paddock will bend on lap seven, John. Okay. <laughs> Which race, though? All of them. Well, the great news is, as it's all-wheel drive, it'll pull you'll itself out. It <laughs> <laughs> and what's more, if I put a little strap on the back, I'll be able to help drag anybody else out who's gone in there as well. Yeah, get a winch, fantastic. Yeah, see? It's getting better all the time. All right. Um, I'm going to see you at the weekend. Uh, enjoy enjoy your day trip tomorrow. Yeah, possibly. Ah, set the alarm for three thirty. All right, guys. Oh, cheers, mate. Nick Damon. Uh, uh, Nick Damon joining us at Midweek Motorsport Series Twelve, Episode Forty. Hello, hello, everybody. Welcome along. Nice to have your company. Uh, up in London is uh, our executive producer, Tim Gray. And with any luck and the technology blowing in the right direction, I can hear a tippity and a tappity, which tends to, mis- t- tends to normally mean that if I say, hello, Marshall... He would say, hello, Marshall, right back. Hey, man, good to hear your tones. How are you this week? I am well, and I'll just add very briefly that I continue to be stupid in my belief that <laughs> since I've now recently entered my own off-season, that things would slow down. No! And But isn't it cute that after doing this since 1986, I still tell that little lie to myself and believe it just wantonly? So it's kind of cute. I know I'm dumb, but that's why y'all take pity on me and have me on your show. Uh, hello to B-Sim Racing, who's listening live tonight. Popcorn and cold beer uh, for uh, for B-Sim. Nice to have your company. Um, top story on your side of things. Um, started to break in the Formula One paddock at quarter in Texas on Friday. And uh, I, I got a couple of people talking to me in text format and... Uh, Fernando Alonso extended his contract earlier in the week. That was announced with with McLaren. Then it was announced that he wouldn't be doing the Indy 500 in 2018. But all of a sudden, I got people saying to me, what's this about Alonso doing the Daytona 500? So we flick backwards and forwards with that. And quite clearly, somebody very senior at McLaren has been talking uh, about this. And it appears he is indeed going to join Richard Dean and Zach Brown's squad 
there may be a connection there. Uh, along with Paul DeResta, who was also announced this week, and he will be at the Rolex in 2018. Cracking story, and well done from from your side for getting it uh, for getting it first. Well, you said Daytona 500, which I think uh, is oh, sorry. news that we just broke. Oh, sorry. Daytona. No, no, exclusive. Okay. Breaking. Ah! Scoot. Uh, sorry, the Rolex Daytona 24. Sorry, I had my mind on something no, else entirely no. there. Um, it's all good. How did, all how, good first brother. of all, how did all that come together? And, and how did that story come together from... I, I had rumour and speculation and somebody running around saying it definitely happened. Um, but I couldn't, I couldn't get somebody from McLaren or, or United to... to to confirm it. I think it's going to be announced in Mexico tomorrow, isn't it? I believe everything I know is is going to be confirmed tomorrow in Mexico. I know that I have set aside some time to speak with the dear Spaniard on this topic tomorrow. Good. So all is good there. Um, And, you know, we try not to reveal a whole lot about how things go on behind the scenes because who (laughs) wants to give away all the magic. But I will just, I will suggest that a person who looks a lot like you and a person that looks a lot like me might have had a conversation in August. Yep. Uh, and I believe the information flowed from uh, the UK side over to the American side that said, hey, here are some rumblings that Alonzo might be in for the Rolex 24, and uh, you wouldn't be too much of a dummy if you were to start asking questions about it. So um, at the time... I asked our friend Zach Brown about it, and he shut it down with just with with complete and absolute definitive uh, answer in saying, uh, "I don't like to mix and refuse to mix McLaren business and business, but with my personal team, United yeah. Autosports." And again, I think at that time, if I'm looking back a little bit, uh, I think that there was. Uh, I think that that answer, while not necessarily bearing out to be 100% accurate, I think that answer was provided because at the time, Fernando was the world's biggest free agent, which everyone knew about. Uh, Deal had yet to be done with McLaren to return, which has since been done. So, again, applying a little bit of filter through time, I think we realize, or I realize that what Zach was saying in that answer was accurate, but it was also based on, uh, I can't exactly go and sign this guy up right now to drive for my team in sports cars while I'm running McLaren, and he's yet to re-sign with us. So with business done uh, on the McLaren side to return next year in the Renault-powered car, I think that then paved the way for, you know, call it a uh, 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 clarifying that he would indeed be driving for Zach on a, on a private front. So, But I mention all that, uh, because, but that took an took place in background i didn't do anything with that because you know zach essentially said no and uh uh so since then there have been some hints and rumors that it was going to happen very recently i know that my racer magazine and racer.com colleague chris medland who's our formula one reporter had been on this for a while and uh while there were some you know good and well-founded rumors that were written about by those from afar i can say and take great pride in the work that my colleague chris did in being on it actually and actually talking to the players and sitting on the story uh until it went up yesterday morning so this is something that having spoken with zach having spoken with fernando um rather than put out a a, a 
complimentary rumor story to go with some of the others. Uh, Chris did a great job in sitting on it, getting you know real conversations with folks in real agreement, well and that went out. So yeah, full marks to him. And I'll just mention one other thing, which circles back to our bigger sports car world. Among the other nuggets that Chris uncovered while speaking with Zach was that McLaren would not stand in the way of Fernando racing at Le Mans with Toyota if Toyota were to ask. Wow. And I think that's awesome. Granted, we're, <laughs> if McLaren was heading into 2018 as a Honda-powered team, I don't know if that kind of thumbs up would be happening. No, but that's, a good, that's a good point. That's a very good point. And, and you know, you know what? I hadn't even thought of that implication of the, the Honda power going away. And... It's something that he's wanted to do for a long time. I remember seeing him at an FIA awards dinner where he was all over the the Audi that had won the championship that that year and taking video of it. It's something that he's always wanted to do, uh, and it's it's not a clashing weekend this year either. This coming and year. knowing knowing his absolutely required level of preparation, having seen it play out in his introduction to IndyCar racing yeah. at the Indy 500. Uh, and it, look, I'm, I'm not claiming to know Fernando any better than any other reporter or whatever, but just having been there and seen it, I've come to appreciate how fanatical he is about wanting to show up for big events, absolutely prepared. So I would say that while as an American, I'm completely geeked out about the fact that I'm going to get <laughs> Fred back for one of you know our big 24-hour endurance race here, we should also probably acknowledge the fact that I don't think he's just doing this because he loves Daytona. Knowing Fernando and ah, his, his yes. mindset, he's looking at the big picture saying, Lamar is my ultimate goal, and if I can learn and get a feel for a low-drag car, even though it's P2 compared to what might be P1 if he does race with Toyota, but I look at this as a great introductory uh, experience for him to ultimately succeed at Le Mans, and again, to, that's just full credit to him being oh. you know, who I regard as the best of oh. his generation in F1. Funny enough, when I was talking with uh, Eve about this earlier in, in the week, um, I, I was, rem- in fact, no, I was talking to my father about it today, and I was reminded about that test that he did. We were in Austin, Texas at the time, and I was watching the live stream uh, from the from the brickyard, and I was just so impressed at how he approached that and didn't try to do anything too quickly, but clearly wanted to 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 move on. I, 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 the guys can do no wrong virtually in, in my eyes. I think he's brilliant, and it will do the Rolex no harm at all to have Fernando Alonso there twice a FIA uh, Formula One World Champion. Although sadly he won't be racing against one of the guys who won outright next year because one of those drivers isn't coming back to defend yes our friend jeff gordon uh this i don't know if i would call this groundbreaking news it certainly wasn't i think if anything it was more confirmation of something we expected and that was having won the rolex 24 overall in his second try uh this past january with wayne taylor racing Jeff Gordon uh, told me when we spoke a day or two ago that uh, that was his proverbial writing off into the Rolex 24 sunset. Wow. So, uh, he Good won't way to be go returning. out, mate. Good way to go out. I mean, you know, I'm still mad that Michael Jordan came back after hitting the game-winning shot to win the uh, the 98 you know, NBA Finals and then came back with the Washington Wizards. You're like, what are you doing? So this is perfect for Jeff and I think does close a great chapter for him there. Uh, so, But it also leaves, you know, the, the great question of, Will Wayne Taylor Racing 
which has done three driver rotations as their normal plan for Daytona. They've this adding Jeff as the fourth was a bit of a special thing. Yeah. Would they look to fill, you know, uh, the remaining seats uh, with a three car rotation? Could they do a four? I don't know. And then they yeah. haven't said, but uh, we, uh, I'm fairly confident. I know you've heard the same thing that uh, our friend Ryan Hunter Ray, yep. who uh, has driven for the team in the past, came back and did uh, Petit Le Mans for them that he is meant to be in a NAEC role next year with them. So provided that is accurate, mm. that would have uh, Jordan Taylor in the car and Wayne, and uh, I was about to call him Wayne Taylor. That'd be fun. Uh, and Ryan Hunter Ray. And that would leave a third driver for Daytona to fill, who we would say would be most likely Jordan's full-time teammate replacing his brother, Ricky. And could there be a fourth again? Who knows? Um, that's part of the fun. And that's part of what I just wrote about that. It's been a while where since we've been able to look at this, Daytona 24-hour, what's become known as the Rolex 24-hour entry list as the big fun and mystery puzzle to solve. Who's coming in? Yeah. Is it a Formula That's One great. guy, NASCAR, it. you name it, and we're back to that, mate. We're it, back it, to it, this. But it's oh, the show. It's the show. You know, it is one of those races, and you know, Jensen Button even talking about it. I know he's not going to come next year, certainly. He's going to do Super GT, but I'd like to go and race in IMSA where those DPI cars race. I mean, that was a direct quote. It's, it's fantastic. There's a buzz about it. And while we're talking about Cadillac, by the way, and whether Wayne Taylor Racing has three or four drivers, likelihood is we'll have four Cadillacs at the Rolex 24 hours because there's an additional one, and it is an additional one that is likely to be out there, will be out there. Uh, how's this? It's yet to be confirmed, so we can say should. Uh, as for the... But we can also say that... In I joke, very our, good. Our dear friend, Andy Blackmore, a note whenever I, I wrote that little story after uh, interviewing uh, Visit Florida Racing Team owner Troy Fliss to say, hey, mate, just giving you a heads up, whenever you start work on your 2018 Daytona Spotter's Guide, just make sure you uh, switch out that Liget to a Delara uh, uh, Cadillac DPI on the uh, the number 90 car. So, um, yeah. And that'll so be their third, that will be their third chassis in effectively one full season um, in, in, in a year at least uh, because of course they did start with that last year but they had some success with it when they went to it and certainly like that what's what's what do you think the thinking is here behind them getting the car and, and, and even wanting the car in the first place and, and are you surprised that there's another car being made available uh, at least for the rumors that I've heard, and I will not, and I apologize, dear Midweek Motorsport listener, um, there are some pretty solid rumors that I've heard about how this car has come to be available. Right. And I would say that putting all that out right now before the program, before it's been officially confirmed, would be uh, a little too aggressive for my liking. But, but it is an this? extra car. This is not taking... Um, one of the Action Express cars, as far as we know, they're continuing with two cars, and it's not taking the Wayne Taylor racing car, as far as we know, they're still continuing, correct? This is a fourth chassis. Yes. Now, I cannot say, because I don't know whether Delara has manufactured a brand new Understood. Cadillac DPI Understood. to supply to them, or if this is a spare car yes. that is being provided. I can tell you this, because we did speak about this last year, so I'm, or I think end of 16, start of 17, that there was a lot of back and forth between the Visit Florida team 
and whether they wanted or whether they're going to continue as a factory uh, Chevy racing, Correct. You know, Corvette racing, GM racing entity uh, coming out of 2016, going into this new DPI formula, or whether they would shift to a WEC P2. And it wasn't because they wanted to fall out of GM's good graces as a factory team with a factory supplied car. It was their sponsor, Visit Florida, absolutely wanted them to go to the 24 hours of Le Mans and to be able to represent and promote that Florida tourism Correct. initiative. Now, granted, I know that obviously, well, A, we have the, the smartest sports car listeners anywhere, so folks are probably saying, well, couldn't they have gone with Cadillac and used a DPI and leased yep. a WEC P2 car in France? To which I would say, that would have been the decision that I made last year, boys and girls. Yep. But that wasn't what they chose to do. What they chose to do was buy a WEC P2 that gave them options to run it in America and there at one car, one utility, learn about it and have uh, expertise with it. Obviously, that didn't exactly go or that didn't exactly work out the way they thought uh, with a Le Mans entry and a, you know, all all that kind of stuff but how's this with what troy told me and what we expect could be a uh, change in primary sponsorship or at least oh. the subtraction of visit florida uh as their primary sponsor unconfirmed but you know this is something we've been hearing since what june yes i think that that could be coming to an end i can't say whether that is or isn't happening but i can say in my conversation with troy he did say very clearly that a, a change in sponsor slash marketing initiatives has uh, essentially taken the Lamar visit in the need for a WEC P2 off the board. Therefore, if we are going to be an American-based effort, then going DPI makes a lot more sense. Uh, to yeah. him. Yeah. So with all that said and all that quick background, he also said, look, we've maintained a great relationship with uh, the uh, what's become the Cadillac Racing folks with the GM Racing side, at least for the things that I've heard. And we, you, you and I discussed uh, here again maybe 10 months ago, 11 months ago. There was also rumors that uh, IMSA founder – and not just the current IMSA, the original IMSA 50 years ago. Uh, IMSA founder Jim France, who also owns the Action Express racing team, which is a Cadillac Delara program, um, offered a one of his spare cars that he purchased. Uh, I was told that he purchased four uh, of these DPIs, that um, he would make uh, one of those available to Troy if he needed one or got into a pinch and couldn't find a car, at least for some of the suggestions that I've heard, that uh, option may have been put back on the table, which therefore has accelerated this return back to the factory family. Uh, yes, that it makes all sense to me as well. Um, before we leave IMSA, lots of good news uh, coming through. Realised I've just sent you a message on the wrong thread, Marshall, so just ignore what I've just typed in front of you. Um, uh, uh, talk about performance tech. Uh, performance tech have completely dominated the season in Prototype Challenge, uh, all bar one of... The pole positions and every win, and I think pretty much every lap, fastest lap as well, romped away with the championship and like to be in full prototype next year. Yeah, so a 
good week on the IMSA prototype front in terms of confirming uh, PC programs and what they're doing for next year. Our friend uh, Brian Alder uh, has not only welcomed a, uh, a new baby into the world recently, but Congrats. is also w- welcoming a uh, Multimatic Mark 30 WEC P2 <laughs> chassis into the family and uh, told me that he expects to get out uh, within the next couple of weeks to start initial testing and then spoke with our friend Brent O'Neill, oh. a uh, many, many decade IMSA man, uh, performance tech owner, uh, who told me this morning that they're a couple days away from confirming that they will be uh, fielding a Delara WEC P2 in IMSA next year. And with all that, that would give us at least one of each of the four uh, ACO slash WEC yes. uh, WEC P2s in IMSA, which would be a nice thing. We would also then have uh, be able to say that same thing on the DPI front. So nice from a completing the set standpoint. <laughs> and uh, I also uh, I also love the fact that, you know, we know for sure we're going to be able to go to the Delara trailer uh, and also Performance Tech to get awesome Italian coffee next year. Yeah, mate. that's so. Very good point. Very good point. And great to see Bar One and Performance Tech who've done so well in the PC and, and have been mainstays of that down through the years, thinking of stepping up. Um, a question about Bar One that I was asked that I don't know. Is that Bar One going to be a 2018 car, that, that, that Multimatic car? Because clearly there's huge updates on that LMP2 car. Um, we know that Yoast Mazda... Uh, Yoast, uh, Master Racing Yoast, uh, that their car is getting big updates as, and changes as well. But the base car, the that chassis is getting huge. What the ACO called Joker updates. And, and will Brian's car be getting that? Will that be the new, the new version, if you will? For what Brian told me, they are going to start testing with a 2017, a full 2017 spec. Uh, Multimatic Mark 30 and the Mazda Team Yoast program, which is currently testing right now, the uh, their DPI chassis, they have been uh, the ones developing the, quote, Joker bits and pieces. Oh, really? From, okay. From And again, I, I haven't had these things confirmed, although Brian kind of, you know, hinted that uh, I was on to some of the right things, but we know obviously that there the car was uh, drag challenged for sure. Yeah. Uh, especially in low drag, you know, in its Le Mans kit and at Daytona. But there are definitely some aero improvements to be made. But the other thing that I've heard, which is interesting, because it's it's fairly in depth, and, and I'll I'll speed through this as quickly as I can. But the uh, the Mark Thirty uh, made used a an old and then successful. Uh, Riley suspension layout where the uh, basically is a rising rate suspension yep. and one where the uh, damper and the springs were separated and had a fairly articulated uh, anti-roll bar system front and rear. This is something that in the old Riley Mark, I forget which Mark, but their world sports car yep. that just dominated the mid to late 90s uh, in North America. This was something that was introduced there. They also put it on their uh, Indy Racing League chassis yeah. as well that ran for a couple years, and it worked incredibly well. For whatever reason, at least the feedback that I've heard throughout the year is that that was one of the car's Achilles heels performance-wise. Oh. And so I've heard 
not saying this is accurate or confirmed, but heard that uh, when we see the Bar 1 car and the Mazda return next year, that there could be more or less a clean sheet approach to its suspension. Definitely at the rear, possibly at the front, which would be harder because that's kind of baked into the chassis and and how it all fits and lays out. But um, to answer the, the question uh, specifically, Mazda, uh, according to Brian, is testing all of the Joker bits and pieces that they want to have approved. And once those items, however many they are, happen to be approved, they would be applied to the 2017 chassis that they will be receiving and testing so that when uh, it's time to start getting for ready for the Roar and the Rolex 24, they will have you know truly every single Joker update on that car and be able to hopefully compete at a higher level than the Mark 30 was capable of in the hands of Visit Florida Racing this year. That That's really interesting because I, I wondered whether the global car, the LMP2 spec car, and the Mazda would be similar underneath uh, or whether they would go even more radical and just get a rehomologation for IMSA and, uh, and, and, and not necessarily go with... Uh, any updates that were going, but it seems as though they, they're going to do that, that that way around. That's good. Very quickly, um, unless you've got any any super-duper breaking sports car stories, a, a quick word about IndyCar, because a couple of bits and pieces of driver news coming through from, uh, from IndyCar. Uh, people looking at partial season certainly and, and I want to have a quick word about what you what you've heard about Brendan Hartley uh, and so any more sports car news no um I've got a couple little tidbits a couple things I'm sitting on but nothing that I'm okay. ready to unroll right now I can tell you that sports car racing is awesome yeah well that, and that it's, I know for sure and it's that's and not it, breaking news though no no not news not, not news says Tim if um, I said it in Spanish though Tim would like it yeah well yes say it in uh, Spanish then Marshall I can't, and I'm from California, which is sad because that's kind of our native language as well. Very quickly, uh, I saw the news that you were tweeting in your story today. Uh, at least one driver is smiling a bit more towards the end, although not a full season from what I saw from your article on racer.com. Your countryman, Jack Harvey, yeah. winner of six Indy Lights races, two-time Indy Lights championship runner-up, uh, three-time IndyCar starter, competed for the first time at the Indy 500, or in IndyCar at the Indy 500 in May with Michael Shank Racing, returned for the final two races as teammate to James Hinchcliffe at Schmidt-Peterson Motorsports. Our dear lad, Jack Harvey, uh, said that he is in for a minimum of six races, with his sponsors Sirius XM and Auto Nation. Hasn't confirmed the team. I do know two or three that he is speaking with. Uh, so that news I'm hoping will be confirmed uh, within the next month or so, month and a half. But um, a driver with actual money making things actually happen in IndyCar, young driver as well. It's A, it's great to hear, and B, uh, I know that of, of some other things going on with that, some folks that have left mm. other programs to be a part of what Jack is doing. So this, I would say, is A, real, but also, you know, if it doesn't happen, then something cataclysmic will have happened. Yeah. Um, that counters what we learned. Actually, we learned it yesterday. I mean, it's about almost 1 p.m. here in California. We learned about this. Uh, late morning yesterday 
that Connor Daly had been dropped by AJ Foyt Racing, and uh, I had a chance to speak with him by text yesterday and then by phone when he landed. He just got back after completing uh, filming a season of The Amazing Race, mm. a kind of adventure reality show with his roommate, Alexander Rossi, Indy 500 winner, and they were sequestered. Uh, for five weeks, uh, per this contract, there was some sort of like $10 million penalty if you were seen before the five-week wow. filming is over. Because folks, you know, if they see you on the street, see you somewhere else, they can put two and two together and realize that you're no longer there filming. Therefore, you are obviously didn't win. And, you know, so he and Alexander were sequestered for five weeks. Alexander, thankfully, signed a new multi-year contract with Andretti before the season ended, before they started filming. Uh, Connor went on this five-week journey uh, without confirmation as to whether he would be brought back by Foyt. There was many, many points of suggestion from the team, private conversations mostly, that they were keen to bring him back as teammate to Tony Kanon, who has replaced Carlos Munoz. And I'm just positioning this more as a human angle than race car driver angle. But, you know, imagine going – imagine – Ending your season, which was really frustrating with a team that proved to be numerically the, the worst in IndyCar, worst performing of all. Uh, he was one of the few bright spots, especially towards the end of the year. They do yet another overhaul, fire their lead driver, Munoz, hire Tony Kanon, question mark on the second part. You, as part of the IndyCar, trying to grow and promote itself, get on to this big uh, reality-based adventure show, um, travel the world and do that for five <laughs> weeks, come back. And, you know, turn on your phone once you land and have a message saying that you are, while you were gone for the last five weeks, wondering uh, what you're coming back to, that you are unemployed. And yeah. also, by the time you've come back, essentially every full-time job is taken. So yeah. not um, – let's just say that I think this will go down as one of uh, – the Foyt teams, I've lost count of how many stupid things they've done. <laughs> but uh, if for any of those who are uh, American football fans, I will just say that uh, they are seemingly bound and determined to become the Cleveland Browns of IndyCar. <laughs> uh, and so for those who know, know the Browns, they know what that means. For those who don't, it's a bit of an oblique reference. Back quickly to the Brendan Hart situation. Yes. Hart. Good Lord. Um, I almost said Bret Hart, which would have been a uh, WWE reference. Uh, Brennan Hartley situation. So that's an interesting one, mate. Um, I'll throw out a couple scenarios. I'm not saying that these are going to happen, but it has certainly crossed my mind and the minds of others. And I might have had the same conversation with Connor Daly last night. So Brennan Hartley, to everything that I know and a lot of other people seem to know, has signed a contract to drive for Chip Ganassi Racing next year yep. in IndyCar as teammate to Scott Dixon. That was signed... Not too long after Porsche announced that it was departing the WEC, Brendan being a little bit of an outlier within the team, right? There are some folks who clearly bleed Porsche white or whatever official color we would say is Porsche's, uh, guards red maybe. Uh, Brendan's like been a little bit of an island uh, unto himself, and I don't mean that he's standoffish, but you know, this kid's someone who's been enjoying himself but was on the road to F1 before yep. that fell apart. He moved to sports car. Not a surprise to see that somewhat soon after the Porsche news, he signed to the other big 
open wheel racing series in the world. Um, since then, we also learned that shortly after the Porsche news, he reached out to his former former Red Bull advisor boss, if you want to call it Helmet Marco, to say, hey, just letting you know, I've grown a lot since we last worked together. And even he admits he wasn't particularly stellar as a Red Bull junior driver. You, I think you and I and anyone else who's seen him uh, in the FIWC would agree, this kid's really good. He yep. has grown massively. He, he is certainly correct in telling Helmet, Give me another. Give me another. And he's in for, as we said earlier on with Nick, he's in for the rest of the season now on a couple of circuits that he knows, Mexico and Brazil. But, but how's that going to stack up? Does I mean, it 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 gets him some single seater experience before he goes to chip. But he, he's put it potentially putting himself in 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 the shop window in Formula One, and and Toro Rosso need another driver next year. So there was that, and then there is the question of so what's happening. Um, is he so okay? So this IndyCar door, uh, we know that that's there, but um, this this Toro Rosso Red Bull thing, very interesting. Um, could this open the door to him possibly uh, getting you know more interest to stay with the team? Could Red Bull slash Toro Rosso reach out to Ganassi and say, hey? Uh, so that contract, is there a buyout clause? Um, they can when, give them Danny Kvyat cause he's going to be out of work next year. Well, funny, we should mention this and we can actually mention breaking news in the middle of this broadcast. Uh, and I guess this explains why Brendan was very unwilling to speak when I reached out to him yesterday and why some folks at Chip Ganassi racing have not answered calls. Chip Ganassi Racing signs 2017 IndyCar Rookie of the Year Ed Jones for its Verizon IndyCar Series program. So I think that tells us what I suspected might happen and actually wrote yesterday uh, that, hey, if Red Bull's truly interested, knowing Ganassi's relatively limited, um, uh, knowing that Ganassi has been relatively financially limited, um, could a call from Red Bull saying, hi, what would it take to, what would it cost to take Brendan off your, uh, off your plate would actually be fairly well received. And so I'm making a couple of assumptions here because I obviously need to speak further with my friends at Chip Ganassi Racing. But it would appear that uh, that call has been made and that question has been answered because Dale Coyne Racing was absolutely uh, convinced that Ed Jones would be driving for them next season. And the fact that they have signed Ed and uh, instead of him returning to Coin, definitely tells us that uh, some business has been done. So yes. let's keep our eyes on what happens with Brendan in the next few weeks. Marshall, brilliant as ever. If you want more details on any of those stories, go to racer.com. MP, thanks for joining us. Talk to you next week, mate. Thank you, brother. Always great to have Marshall on the show. We're a little late for this. It's just after Would nine o'clock. Would you like to hear some of my experimental avant-garde poetry? No? Okay, then. It's Midweek Motorsport. And still to come... That's a new one. Fantastic stuff. Uh, a little bit more uh, of the same coming in the next hour, uh, although we're a little bit late for that. I wish I'd had some avant- experimental avant-garde uh, poetry. Uh, keep the tweets coming in. 
can be arranged, yes. Uh, it's probably around in the Christmas quiz. Uh, keep the tweets coming in to at Specutainment, please. Uh, and coming up in the next hour, Graham Goodwin will join us before he jets off to China this weekend. We'll be talking about the future of F1. It's Team USA and their two 2017 scholarship candidates. They've already raced uh, here in the UK over the weekend. But we've got a bit of news in brief and uh, an uncommon contributor. That's because he's not here all the time. That'll be Johnny Palmer. All still to come on Midweek Motorsport. Midweek Motorsport on RS1. Seems to be here all the time. Uh, a bit of news in brief then. <laughs> okay. And that is uh, congratulations to James Taylor. Not the musician, presumably. Not the musician, no. The uh, Carter, who uh, okay. is now the winner of the Janetta Scholarship today. Oh, okay, very good. Well done. After three days of assessment at Blyton. Right, carry on. Come on, come on, come on. That's it? That, oh, that was it? Yes. That was just one news in brief story? Yes, I'd just say I had a nib. Okay, a nib. Uh, which means we can say good evening in the second half of the programme. Tippity-tappity in the background. That must be Johnny Palmer. Hello, JP. Um, hello, John. Yes, yeah, sorry, I hadn't realised I was on at that point. Tippity-tappity. Always. You know what I'm like with my spreadsheets. Um, not sure why, but you're distorting a little bit to me. Maybe if you can... I, I don't know what mic you've got plugged in there, but if you can turn it down a wee bit, because you were much better earlier on when I talked to you before we went live. Um, JP, you've been our voice of the European Le Mans series this year. Came to an end uh, at uh, Portimao at the weekend. Big party afterwards. Fine time had by all. Uh, Michelin Le Mans Cup as well. Uh, we, obviously, we'll have a review of the season coming on, but the, the final event, uh, move in venue, still in uh, still in Portugal, but uh, move from Estoril last year to Portimao. Did that work? I think it did work, yeah. Ooh, lovely, I, I that's mean, much better. It's, a, it's an interesting track. I mean, I've never been before, and uh, people like Joe Bradley and Nick had raved about it when the Creventic series went there. It is like a roller coaster. From turn one, you are forever going up and down and left and right. And um, to deal with traffic, some of the GT drivers said it's so tough after sector one. You're forever looking in your mirrors and there's not actually much space off the racing line. So very tricky for the six GTE cars that we had. Uh, bearing in mind that there's 17 P3s and 12 P2s that needed to get through for the GTs virtually every lap. So it, it was tricky, but I, you know, we're going back there in 12 months' time, and that looks to be a good decision. Yeah, uh, any crowd there? Because we did have a decent crowd at, at Estoril last year. I was there with you for that. Traditionally, Portimao has struggled to attract a, a crowd. It's a little bit further away from uh, from habitation. Uh, a little bit further up into the the hillside than Estoril. Yeah, but it's 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 difficult to get to unless you've got transport. Whereas Estoril is on the side of a motorway, um, and if people drive past it, they know it's there. So did we get a crowd at, at Portimao? That does need some work, and <laughs> obviously this event is is free to get in. We we didn't have any Renaults the weekend just gone. However, to my knowledge, it was still walk-in, no charge at all, 10 euros to get into the paddock. But whenever we got glimpses of the grandstands, particularly that there's a big grandstand on the main straight that towers above the pit. Yeah. There were maybe 10 or 20 people in there, hopefully a few more dotted around. But as you say, compared to Estoril, 
it did struggle. And Estoril's weather, I remember, absolutely threw it down and it people did. were still not pulled off. Whereas the weather on Saturday, Sunday, 25, 26 degrees, I think your point about actually getting to the track is a good one. Faro's, you know, a, a good tourist venue, but it is about a half an hour drive away. Yeah, fair point. A uh, little bit of end-of-season controversy in one of the races that you had this that weekend. That was the, the Road to Le Mans, was it? Yeah, the, the Michelin Le Mans Cup. Uh, Sorry, yeah, Michelin uh, Le Mans Cup, my apologies, yeah. It, it, well, it's known as Road to Le Mans, the two Le Mans races, of course, rounds two and two and a half, if you like. I mean, we have six rounds, seven races. Um, DKR Engineering, they'd already sewn the championship up the previous round at Spa, and, and well done to Jean-Gloria and, and Alex Torrell, who look to be real talents, and I'm looking forward to seeing where DKR Engineering yes. end up next year. Maybe one of these teams to be promoted, although I still can't get to the bottom of whether that's happening or not. <laughs> but DKR, you know, they'll be in ELMS next year, I'm sure. However, down to, uh, I think it was Stuart Report, Stuart Report, Stuart Report number eight, or regulation number eight, down to fuel analysis after the race. Something picked up in, in scrutineering. Now, whether this was the wrong fuel being used or the wrong fuel rig being used, but they were stripped of the win a couple of hours after the race so they didn't get any points at all it didn't matter as i say because they already had 114 points and an unassailable lead but it did mean that andy merrick and eric de donka for motorsport 98 got their first mm. victory and that was only their second podium result of the year as well so they're a bit, a bit surprised victors and sadly they didn't get to stand on the podium oh, uh, but yes. nevertheless that put them into third place in the championship and a uh, good news story there for the belgian outfit uh elms uh, usual dog fri- dog fight and looked to be a, a decent race i caught uh, some of the the end of it with uh, with you and uh, bruce uh, talking about it on the telly and on the radio yeah, I mean, it was a little bit about championship management yes. for both G-Drive Racing in LMP2 and United Autosports in LMP3 going into it with an 18 and a 19-point lead, respectively. So Leo Russell and Memo Rojas just kind of kept it neat and tidy, came home for fourth place, and that was plenty to win the championship by 12 points. But a real nice story, I think, for Leo Russell, who I've been mm. keeping an eye on since his Pegasus days. He's still only... 21 the guy from paris and uh could be a real talent for the future memo rojas you know, you'll know about all his championships in in the states in what was used to be called the rolex sports car series he's won that four times three time 24 hours of daytona winner and, and a regular still, co-driver with scott pruitt of course and yet still but he's never won anything in europe yeah, so exactly. this is his first big title in, in the european scene yeah, still underrated, I, I, I think, and and slightly less known than he probably uh, probably should be. Uh, LMP uh, LMP three was a good one because the uh, the trophy has uh, has never gone outside of Garforth in North Yorkshire. Went across the road, didn't it? Yeah, you're right. I mean, within that sort of Yorkshire area, because I mean, the first time P threes were run in ELMS, it was Team LNT. Chris Hoy and Charlie Robertson, and then uh, so Lawrence Tomlinson's group with the Ginetta. And then, as you say, United Autosports last year when Alex Brunnell, Christian England and Mike Gwash won it. And it stayed now with very much Yorkshire, but a very much United States duo. John Faub, uh, based in Las Vegas, and Sean Rahal, 22 years old, from Winston, Georgia. Uh, both have proved really consistent across the years. Only that ninth place at Monza that stands out mm. as the real blot. But otherwise, it's been five podiums from from six races, and they were convincing winners. Twenty-two points adrift of the M Racing trio. That's uh, Ivan Muller's squad. But um, 
I can't complain at LMP3. 17 cars oh, again. Fabulous. Some questionable driving standards mm-hmm. and abilities, and I think possibly some of those teams will need to drop out of VLMS and maybe into the Michelin Le Mans Cup for a season. There are some, you know, there are new people to prototypes that, that just perhaps need to be in a slightly quieter environment just to get to grips with the machinery. Yeah, uh, uh, yes, uh, uh, that has been a problem. Uh, very pleased for Sean Rehal, who came up through the IMSA ladder system and uh, mm. really impressed me in uh, the old pro- uh, the old IMSA lights uh, dominated uh, that a couple of seasons, a couple of three seasons ago. Shea will uh, remember, and, and has done a bit more racing in the states. But good to see him broadening his horizons. Uh, we'll, we'll do a proper review of the season later on, but. General overview, Johnny. The you know we're used now to these four-hour races. Everybody settled into that. That works very well indeed. And uh, it, it appears that the ELMS has has settled into its own skin, if you will. Yeah, I, I mean, I was kind of leaving the best till last. There, I do need to mention GTE. Yes, you do. Sorry. Which- to be honest, has suffered a little bit as far as numbers are concerned. We've reached seven cars at one point, but it's been a steady six with Ferrari, Aston Martin and Porsche represented. But I think, you know, when you look at the pole positions, there have been four different teams on pole and we've had five different crews. Is it five, one, two, three, four? Yeah, five different crews. So five of the six entries have all won a race. Wow. And just phenomenally close. We went into this weekend with there being a point difference between the top two and 17 points separating the top four teams. And at the very last moment, because of uh, an issue with the 55 Ferrari, that's Duncan Cameron and Matt Griffin and Aaron Scott's dark green Ferrari, Mm. a very unusual uh, engine expiry. The 3.9 twin turbocharged engine expired about two thirds of the way in for Aaron Scott. That meant that the car retired on the spot. And uh, the 66 JMW Motorsport Ferrari, I mean, what a year they've had. A win with their 458 before it, it bowed out at Monza. Now they've won the European Le Mans Series. They won, of course, the Le Mans 24 hours with their GTE car as well. And, and Jody Fannin and Rob Smith, I think, are worthy winners. But they win it by two points. Oh. You could not really wish for a closer season. It just needs more cars, yeah. GTEs. And I don't know why GTE isn't more attractive. P3, they're doing everything right. As I say, no complaints there. And and LMP2, it is all about the Oricas. Although, interestingly, a Ligier took pole position, the mm. Panes Bartas competition car. And, you know, I'm looking forward to... Maybe the four chassis being equalised next year with this Joker system that they're talking about to keep the Orica as it is and let the others catch up. Great stuff, Johnny. We'll hear from you uh, in the run-up to Christmas with a full review of ELMS and uh, the Michelin Le Mans Cup. Sounds like you had uh, a good time over there. Johnny Palmer joining us uh, live tonight talking about the final rounds of those two championships. Cheers, mate. OK, no problem. Speak soon. We need to get Johnny on this more, definitely. Uh, you listen we need to, mid- to extend the show. Well, only some weeks. Uh, Midweek Motorsports, uh, Series 12, Episode 40. Uh, earlier on today, uh, I popped up the road here in East Northamptonshire uh, to Cliff and Michelle Dempsey's house for the last 10 years or so. They've been looking after the Team USA scholarship drivers when they come to the UK and running a couple of Formula Fords in both the Formula Ford Festival, which was last weekend, and the Walter Hayes Trophy, which is not this weekend, but the weekend after at Silverstone. Ten years ago, it was Connor Daly and Joseph Newgarden who were the first people who they looked after. Uh, I thought it would be a good idea to continue our tradition. And so thanks to Jeremy Shaw and to Michelle and uh, Cliff, we went up there today to have a word with the boys and we'll let them introduce themselves. My name is Jonathan Kodak. I'm from Atlantic Beach, Florida, from the United States. 
Uh, my name's Aaron Johnson. I'm from Sulphur, Louisiana, United States. Guys, congratulations, first of all, on being picked for Team USA for 2017. Uh, tell me a little bit about the, the process and how you found out that you were going to be coming to the UK as part of your Team USA prize this year. Did you think you'd, you'd got it won, Jonathan? Uh, not exactly. It definitely was going to be tough. There's a lot of good candidates. First, we were at Mid-Ohio. There was 10 candidates there. We were through an interview selection where we got actually put in front of a lot of big motorsports people. And from there, we actually got, uh, me and Aaron got selected to the final six. And there we went to M1 in Detroit. And that's where we actually had to do our on-track sessions. We got to drive the Lucas Oil cars, do a couple days of driving. And then from there, we were actually narrowed down to the top two. And then here we are today. What was what was the most nerve-wracking, Aaron, driving the cars or being in front of people and having to do the media interviews? Um, neither one of those were really that nerve-wracking to me. Honestly, I didn't really feel any nerves till after the shootout when I was just waiting to see if I got picked or not. That was the absolute worst part. Now, how much experience have you got in, in motorsport before you came on the Team USA scholarship? Um, I had one year of local dirt oval karting where I live, but besides that, I started racing cars in the Lucas Oil School Series last November, and that's it. So very little experience and coming from a slightly different area with dirt oval uh, karting. How's that prepared you? Has it prepared you at all for what you've had to do here? You've, you, you've clearly driven a, a car with a, a gearbox before. Yeah, no, um, I wouldn't say it really prepared me for much. It may help whenever I do ovals someday in the future for setup purposes, but I would it should say be all right in the rain as well. Used to the car, no. any machine sliding around underneath you? No, no, it didn't really slide around that much. It would just rubber up, and it would be like driving an asphalt oval, really. Mm. But there was no manual gearbox in that. We didn't shift at all, and so the only experience I had shifting was the paddle shift process in the Lucas series. So the H pattern gearbox was all new to me when I came here. But now you can heel and toe. You know what I mean when I say that? Yeah, I know what that means. Good <laughs> man. You, you'll please Jeremy to, to hear that. He thinks that's an integral part of, of any young driver's uh, arsenal and CV. Um, Jonathan, what about you? Where, where's your experience before you came over here? I've had a little bit more experience. I've done six years of pretty high-level karting in the non-gearbox and gearbox classes. And this is my first year actually doing F1600 in the States. So I got to have a, a well-rounded uh, experience before I came over here so really excited and really good opportunity. Been outside of the States before? I actually did one karting event in Spain for the uh, the world finals but that beyond that that was my first uh, experience outside the States. So actually it's not been too bad beautiful day today here in uh, central Northamptonshire or east Northamptonshire where we are uh, speaking at the moment how have you found the the British the English experience? Oh, it's been pretty good. I've been bundled up every single day. I, I was thinking about wearing shorts today for the first time, but no, re really good. Really, I enjoy the countryside. Definitely really peaceful, especially at Cliff's house in this little village. And no, definitely enjoy the racing so far too. Staying with Cliff and Michelle Dempsey, of course, who are also running the team that you guys have been racing for, Brands Hatch. Now, for us here in the UK, it's a very special place. The Formula Ford Festival, very special. It was of an anniversary this year. Did you get a sense of occasion when you went there? Oh, it was special, all right. I can tell you that. <laughs> the weather was something special. Um, yeah. On Saturday, I, didn't, I don't think it was the same for 10 consecutive minutes, was it? No, but I mean, you could definitely feel a sense of it being a big event and everything. But honestly, when, when we went out to drive, I just didn't really feel any of that. I just kind of enjoyed all the experience driving like it was any other race weekend, except much different than anything I've done before. So it was just really fun. Um, it's got quite a bit of elevation change, Brands Hatch. How, how did you find Paddock Hill? Yeah, you could say that. Um, 
Yeah, paddock hill is pretty cool. Um, I wanted to make some passes on the outside, but it was a little little iffy every time you tried to go for that. But um, yeah, it wasn't really as scary as I thought it'd be going downhill like that. It was, it was actually pretty cool to get like suction down in the car and everything. Mm. I always think that you know that you've got Paddock Hill right if whatever car you're in bottoms out at the bottom of the hill and you hear the scrape or you feel it through through your backside. Jonathan, what about you? Racing over here a little bit different from what you'd experience in the States? Uh, it's a little bit different over there. They don't really have the heat races or things like that, but the turnout was really good. I uh, got to do uh, the SECA event before I came over, and that had about 81 cars in the class, so definitely kind of prepped me for this. And definitely getting to racetracks like VAR with the elevation changes is mm. quite similar to... Uh, brands hatch here but no it was a really good event a lot of a lot of fans and everyone coming to sign autographs and take pictures which is pretty cool which is something you don't really get in the states either and the actual racing itself uh the tends to a little bit more well i would call it defending jeremy would call it blocking over here you, you're you're allowed to defend your position a little more strenuously than i guess you guys have been used to yeah, back at, back home, we're only allowed to make one move. So basically, you have to choose whether you want to go outside or inside. And then once the car behind you makes the move, you can't move. But over here, you actually can be a little more defensive, what I'd call <laughs> it. But uh, no, it wasn't too bad. It was almost just like the high-level karting that I've been used to. And also, a lot of the 1600 in the States, a lot of the guys just really throwing it in there and getting it moved on. Uh, you were nodding with that, Aaron. I, I, I get a suspicion that you quite enjoyed the, the rough and tumble of racing here in the UK. Oh, wow, yeah. I've never seen anything like that in my life. I mean, but it, it's how I pictured racing before I got into racing. So it's everything I've always wanted to do. Oh, really? It was absolutely intense, and the way you drive the cars, the way you race, everything was perfect. That's, that's exactly what I wanted to do. Now, you bring up a good point there. How did you get interested in racing? As we mentioned, not a, what we would call here in Europe a traditional way of getting into racing. Is racing in the family? No, not at all. I mean, my, my parents hardly even know what a yellow flag means, but they got me a, a NASCAR game when I was like six years old, and I've just had a love for racing ever since, just never had an opportunity to get into it. I'd been wanting it my entire life, so here I am. And in terms of career progression, back to the ovals, or now that you've tasted some road circuit and some road racing, is, is there some road racing in your future, do you hope? Oh, as soon as I hit the, the road course last November, I absolutely fell in love with it. That's my favorite type of racing now. It's awesome. And Jonathan, what about you? How did you get involved in the sport? I actually went out to a, a little karting a track by my house for my birthday, and then from there it actually kind of started everything. But uh, my uncle actually did flagging for like F1 and oh. some sports car stuff in the States, so he's the only one really in on my dad's side of the family that's really had an involvement. But uh, yeah, just from that karting event the one day at my birthday, started it all, and here we are today. Yes, it's kind of spiraled <laughs> since since then. Um, heroes, anyone that you look up to, any anybody that you always look for the results from? I definitely look up to a, a lot of the F1 drivers and IndyCar drivers. I know a few that really stood out was was Dan Weldon and Rubens Barrichello. They definitely took the time any time a fan came by or or whatnot really to take a photo or or sign a picture or really talk with them. So those are the guys I really idolize. And presumably for you, Aaron, with your background on the game in, in NASCAR, it'll be oval drivers or stock car drivers that would have influenced you in your younger years? Yeah, the biggest driver that's ever influenced me would be Jeff Gordon, for sure. Just everything he's done inside the car, outside the car. And very versatile driver as well. He's driven different types of things in the past. He's very good, yeah. I definitely look up to him a lot. And then, of course, on the F1 side, uh, Senna is, is a big one. And... Um, Currently today, I guess the driver I'd look up to the most right now that's racing would be Joseph Newgarden. I think he's the complete package and a great guy to look up to. And, of course, you're walking in his footsteps right now because not so very, well, 10 years ago it is now, I was doing this interview with Joseph and Connor Daly, I think it was, that year. In fact, they came over to where I was living then and, and had dinner with us and came on the show, show live. So does, does that then make you think, well, he's done it, I could do it? 
I'm trying to think too much about that. But, <laughs> <laughs> but there's a big smile on his face. You, you've got some big names to live up to. Jeremy's doing, been doing this Team USA thing for quite a while, very long time now, and a number of the guys have gone on to bigger and, and better things. Is, is that pressure, or do you use that as inspiration, Jonathan? I definitely take it as an inspiration. Definitely with, with me and Aaron getting on the program, it definitely boosts our confidence and knows that we can have the possibility of, of making it from, from not having a background in the sport. Uh, Apart from the racing, there's always plenty of other activities as well. And I know it's not over yet because you've got Walter Hayes and a couple of weekends time over at Silverstone. And hopefully the weather will be uh, a little brighter uh, for that for you. So far, though, what's been the highlight other than the racing? Uh, probably uh, probably the food. Actually, it, it's just so different over here. Wow. So we're kind of getting to experience a lot of the new, new, new meals and things like that. So have, having a good time trying new stuff. And plenty of uh, things to keep you busy during the week. Lots of uh, lots of visits to places. What stood out for you? Are oh, the Mars bars? <laughs> oh, really? It's food again. <laughs> See, Mars bars over here aren't like what you guys call Mars bars. Uh, no, I never knew what one was. But no, the portions here actually is bigger, bigger than they are in the states. I mean, I didn't think they would be. With all the stereotypes we have, but you know. Of all the things that you guys could choose, and they're both food, <laughs> food related. Um, off to Donington Park later this week to do a bit of testing, and then to the home of the British Grand Prix, Silverstone. Excited! First of all, you're going to love Donington Park. Um, not sure which circuit you're running on, but if it's the national circuit, the shorter circuit, I love that track. It's one of my favourites. And then Silverstone. Excited about that? Oh, really excited. I think uh, the testing that we've done, especially at Brands, that's going to give us a good prep for uh, for Silverstone. And I think from there, we're just going to really excel. You're going to a f- another Formula One circuit. Brands has Formula One history. Silverstone, current Formula One circuit. And, and although you'll be racing on the shorter circuit, that's something certainly to, to get excited about. Definitely, yeah. And I mean, the same, you know, with Donington, that's been on my bucket list for a long time, too. I've always... Really? Yeah, I've always been really excited to run there. Why? Uh, because you've seen cars racing there, or you've seen it on games? and Both, yeah. I just really fell in love with it as a whole. And Alton Park as well, and we got to test there, so that was really oh, cool for me. Fantastic. And But yeah, Silverstone with the whole F1 deal, that's really cool, too, that we get to go there. I'm... Silverstone's a bit flatter than Donington Park. You're going to love going down the Craner Curves. And coming up the other side, when you come up to McLean's and that turn in that's totally blind, you're going to love all that. Yeah, I think the racing will be really good too. It's going to be cool. Two fabulous young men, and we wish them all the best. Off to uh, Donington for a bit of testing, and not this weekend, but next weekend. It's the Walter Hayes Trophy uh, for the Team USA Scholarship guys. Uh, Aaron and Jonathan uh, thoroughly enjoyed having a chat with them uh, earlier on today. And well done, Jeremy Shaw, for picking another couple of very fine young men. I think they're going to enjoy their next couple of weeks here in the USA. Midweek Motorsports Series 12, Episode 40 we're on to now, aren't we? And time pushing on. Uh, let's say good evening to the editor of DailySportsCard.com, Graham Goodwin. Evening, Graham. Good evening, everybody. Uh, a hectic uh, few weeks for everybody in the uh, sports car paddock, despite the fact that the season is nominally coming to an end. But what I'd like to, to talk to you about tonight, Graham, if we will, is the developing story, and it needs to develop as well, let's be honest, of LMP1, both in the short term and in the longer term. And, and, I, and I think what we need to do is, is really go a bit about face here, because in the longer term, we need a plan. And that plan is, is it beginning to start to look a little clearer from the ACO? 
Uh, I think the answer is that it is. Um, I think you know you like me, John, see this for what it is, which is something of a cycle. Mm. But as with anything with a cycle, you've got to have a plan, otherwise that cycle will not come around. Uh, the encouraging news is that the ACO asked for and have got engagement from a range of manufacturers for a conversation about what the future of LMP1, if indeed it's still going to be called LMP1, is going to look like. And that's manufacturers that aren't necessarily what we would think of in the last few years as quote-unquote traditional LMP1 manufacturers. We're not talking here about uh, the Genettas, the Dallaras, etc. We're talking here about OEMs, mainstream motor manufacturers, whether or not that's bulk manufacturers or the more boutique supercar manufacturers that might have an interest. There was a a program put in place by PFION to engage, to find out what it is that the the manufacturers would need to persuade them to come back into endurance racing uh, at the highest level. And a number of them have responded. There was a meeting uh, some days ago with the Insurance Commission, the FI Insurance Commission, um, and that came to a number of conclusions, turned over, I believe, some initial proposals from the ACO, uh, added substantially to that from the industry side. And what we appear to be getting towards now is a series of proposals that will be debated by um, and expected to be approved by the FI World Motorsport Council in early December, which will form the shape of LMP1 or its replacement for the 2020-21 season. Yeah, and, uh, and what we have to say to that is, Graham, is the set of regulations that were proposed as talking point stroke regulations, depending on who you, you talk to. Uh, some people said that there were more in place than others, but those that came out in June at Le Mans have effectively been put back in the draw, and that draw has been closed. Uh, closed and locked, I think it's fair <laughs> to say. But I think, and I the think key thrown away? The key I think they've still kept, but I'm not sure they've told anybody where it is. Right. Uh, but uh, but the, the, the key to this, I think, is it's pretty simple. They have realised that at the moment... The, the budgets that are actually uh, in place are difficult for the mainstream manufacturers to justify publicly. I was about to go, mm, do you think yeah. so? But you, you, you beautifully uh, saved that by saying publicly. <laughs> because in, in reality, Graham, you and I have talked to the Audis, the Toyotas and the... Porsches of this world and even if you believe it's 250 million that's 250 million that they've never had an issue with and also includes things that are far beyond the remit of just designing building running and servicing a car there's all kinds of activations in that as well but frankly those kinds of it's big money let's it would put you you know well up the spending table in in formula one if you weren't having to develop an engine but in automotive terms and in OEM terms, original equipment manufacturer terms, that really is a drop in the ocean. They spend more than that on a, on a midlife refresh of a small family hatchback. Totally, totally spot on. That's why we've seen... Let's, let's leave, aside, leave aside for a moment, and we'll come back to it, the VAG brands, Porsche and Audi, and leave aside to the very different concerns that have come to, to bear for Persia and the reasons why they're not coming to LMP1. Talk about Toyota and, you know, you recall, you were there with me, John, when Toyota announced that they were 
basically going to be adopting the budget from the mainstream R&D from their road car side, which was why they could commit, when they did, long-term to LMP1. And that is a lot of money, by the way, into which 250 million, and and by all accounts, Toyota are doing this on a far more cost-conscious basis and probably spending 80 to 100 million. Now, what I would say is that is still a lot of money, but where Toyota don't spend their money is on all the activation, particularly Audi were uh, very heavy on activation, spending uh, somewhere near or perhaps even a little bit over 30 million euros at Le Mans alone. Uh, well, so I mean, your, your point, by the way, John, was completely correct. Let's say, for instance, that your road car is a Toyota. Hmm. Let's say, for instance, that your road car is a Toyota RAV4. Let's say, for instance, that you're looking to actually buy a brand new RAV4 and you go and look at the uh, the used cars on the uh, on the, the dealer's forecourts and you think, that's a good-looking two-year-old car. But you know what? I like the way that they've just done that there with the front grill and look what they've done yeah. there with the rear lights yeah. you know they've got leds now and blah 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 those kind of technical steps forward and the styling te- their steps forward are into the tens of millions per uh, per change mm-hmm. you're absolutely right in in automotive industry terms these are not the kind of numbers that are going to make a massive difference one way or the other the no. problem is is that the aco have been hit with a perfect storm on two or three counts Dieselgate absolutely is a major factor for both uh, Audi initially because, of course, they came with a diesel. That became very difficult to sustain. Well, it was impossible to justify at that time. Absolutely. There's an irony there, though, Graham, isn't there? Because all the, the vast majority of Audi's next tranche of funding had been spent on developing and indeed building the first of the new for 2017 as they would have been cars and it's my understanding and I've had this confirmed now from a couple of different places that Audi's next car after that 2017 car would have been petrol powered probably a 2.7 v6 twin turbo and the vast majority of the development work on that engine had already been completed and you know what that if anything points us in the direction of a further conclusion that no one's reached yet which is that likely meant that they weren't expecting to be competing against Porsche. Correct. Uh, so that Porsche would have left before that point. Because I, I, Graham, I completely limit, agree. Because yeah, I've, li- I've always had, I've always had the feeling that once Porsche put a little bit of clear water between themselves and Audi in terms of Le Mans one, that they would have pulled out anyway. I, I don't think Porsche would have stayed beyond their current funding cycle with which Andreas Seidel told me, told you and told everybody else, including the ACO at Le Mans, he being the project manager for P1, was good through to the end of 2019. Correct. And I think that's why we've got the, um, the, the how can we put this, the lack of self-control that we've seen in one or two of the public statements that have come out from the ACO of late. So anyway, there you go. That's the AG. Peugeot, something completely different. Two things have actually hit with Peugeot. Number one is their very own emissions saga. Oh, before we forget, by the way, with Porsche and Audi, of course, there's the ongoing investigations in Germany into cartel behaviour by all of the German makes, Correct. Um, both both car and truck. Um, for Porsche, uh, for Peugeot rather, their very own emissions issues. And of course, since the debate started with the ACO on whether or not uh, Peugeot would come back, there was a decision to buy the Opel Vauxhall uh, organisation. That comes with a hefty price tag. That also comes with the very bad news for probably thousands of current workers across the group. And they again are looking for what uh, both Audi 
and um, and Porsche were looking for, which is a way to reinvent the range, if you like, and to do that at a very low cost indeed in global terms. And they found it, uh, both the VAG brands with Formula E. They're not going there because the racing's better. They're not going there because the exposure's better. They're going there because it gives them something they can say they've got for a global motorsport program at a very limited cost. And it comes with the benefit of saying, look at us, we're reinventing the range. Well, well, and also, it also is massively virtue signalling. It ticks a huge box. Um, is there a cost benefit? Yes, there is at the moment, uh, but um, there's also no return on their investment because nobody's watching it. And I apologise if I'm upsetting people who like Formula E, but nobody's watching it. And it, it isn't sustainable as it stands, getting those manufacturers involved. And of course, we're just hearing that Renault are about to leave Formula E, interestingly, and be replaced by another brand from their group, which is Nissan. Um, that's a whole different story and something that we can maybe debate at a different time. So let's get back to um, 2021 because it will yep. be it will be a winter calendar uh, for the WEC. I'll come back to that and and the part that that plays in the future in a little while. The key things for me on this and the difficult balancing act that the ACO needs to have, and and I said deliberately the ACO because at the moment I'm going to put aside the WEC because, frankly, that's not that important right now. What's important is getting the focus back on Le Mans and getting the ACO back where they should be, as in the guardians of endurance motorsport. That's just that's just my particular take on this. But doing that... There's a difficult balance here, Graham, between costs, if you believe that some of the manufacturers are cost-interested, and, and clearly some of the boutique manufacturers like McLaren, Ferrari, and probably Aston Martin would be. They're not part of a bigger group. But also, there has to be enough in there to interest them. One of the great, And what I mean by that is one of the great benefits of, of the last round of regulations with hybrid was that we had ultimately three, four manufacturers let's count Nissan okay didn't work out for them in terms of of the sporting side but we had four manufacturers who were drawn to those regulations because each and every one of them could find a story to tell that was relevant to their product range and showcase their technology so there's so so there's there's a balance to be made there between cost and making it technologically relevant and worthwhile for the manufacturers yeah, I think the big change that will be coming, all of those things will still be included. The, the big change that will be coming on the technology side is rather than the headlong dash into two and then three hybrid systems, and I'll explain why in a moment hybrid is still the thing, yeah. um, that they will, I, th- I believe, will restrict it to a single system. And that single system will have pretty substantial caps in terms of its capability uh, so you will be able to produce a bespoke system but what you won't be able to do is do something that just blows everybody else out of the water uh, there will be generally simple not performance balance but generally simple uh, similar performance well we've uh, had equalization of technology yes, throughout these uh, hybrid well, been, regulations and it's, and been it's, extreme, it's been extremely successful we shouldn't forget you know while we, we're here kind of shuffling around and looking at our shoes at the moment uh, just how good this has actually been so and how hybrid? relevant it's been and and how it's pushed i think and i'd be interested to hear some of our listeners thoughts on this on at uh, spectatainment on twitter I think it has done an awful lot to make hybrid sexy because oh, it has. we've broken lap. You and I 
have sat in commentary booths around the world watching WEC, watching Le Mans, where lap records consistently have been breaking, broken um, with less downforce, smaller tyres, and getting on for half of the yep. fuel being used, and the cars are still going as quick, if not quicker, over it longer has, periods. It has made a fundamental difference to the way in which the public see hybrid technology. And the I, manufacturers, I, I, I think, Graham, to be I, honest. I, absolutely. I believe far more so, far more so than Formula One. Now, yep, Formula agreed. One has had hybrid tech. Yep. Uh, they don't tend to make a big song and dance about no, hybrid no. tech. Uh, whereas in the WEC with the LMP1s, it has been absolutely to the fore. It has been the one aspect of sports car racing that consistently has attracted mainstream attention is the performance of these hybrids. And it's a piece, the, the piece I wrote about the regulations, I, I quoted it to this. You remember not that long ago, the worthy uh, Hollywood celebrities would turn up to you know, the Golden Globes or the Oscars in a Toyota Prius uh, and then go home and drive their supercars. Their supercars are hybrids now. Yeah, yeah. Okay? And that, by the way, Sean, is where we come into the next aspect of what this Good discussion point. is about. Good point. So what, first and foremost, though, why not, why not new technologies? Why only uh, hybrid technology at the moment? The reality is because that's all that's mature right now. They don't want escalating budgets. It is a fundamentally more difficult thing to roll out in my area of the sports, uh, these new technologies, that it would be for something like EWRX, the uh, electric forthcoming uh, world rallycross thing that uh, Persia interested in, or Formula E, because they're sprint races, they're short races. Okay. It's, you know, it's a quick hit of that technology. Try doing that over six hours or 24 hours with a hydrogen fuel cell or with plug-in hybrid at the moment. You could but the cost would be phenomenal. So what they're doing is they're saying, as you said quite rightly, they put that in the drawer and we'll look at that when actually that, that, that uh, technology... Can I also say as well, Graham, that ultimately the other part of the successful nature of the last tranche of regulations was that the racing was great. Yes. And what we don't want to do necessarily is compromise the racing either. And, and you know, the, the position in its development cycle that hybrid was there was quite a lot of low-hanging fruit to be grabbed by the manufacturers, and both Audi and Porsche, of course, bought battery companies and bought into battery technology, uh, bought those companies out, because those guys weren't moving quick enough for them. But they recognised the opportunity there and moved that forward. What never suffered was the racing. And and what would worry me if we went to something that was bleeding edge rather than leading edge was we've got a whole... Half a generation at least now, if not a whole generation, who are used to reliable, quick racing cars at the front of endurance fields that go for 24 hours in 45-minute blasts that are just sprint races. I'm not sure we can... We've opened Pandora's box there, and whereas you, me, Paul Truswell, might say, ah, well, it would be nice if they broke down once in a while... I'm not sure that for the show that would be the best thing. And and then we'd get into the, the sort of area that Formula E is still in, whereby if it's not working and you can only run 10 minutes on a battery, then it's not actually doing anything for the manufacturers who've invested in that technology to say, oh, let's get rid of range anxiety. Oh, we can't. We've got to swap the car. That sort of thing. And I'm not criticising FE there. I, I'm, I'm just saying I, I don't think we need necessarily to go down that path. I think you're, you're right. I think and the other thing is, you know, much as I 
I have to say, highly critical of the statements that have come out in the, uh, the reaction to some of the withdrawals, both from the manufacturers and from the ACO, for that matter. Uh, what I would say is you do need to take seriously what's being said there. And one of the things that's being said is that the, there is a lack of competition. So that's what they need to fix. They need to get to the stage where we've got something that will draw back um, the, both the manufacturers. And let's not forget the privateers. We'll come to that in a, in a little wee while. That what they need is a little bit of body armour. So it needs multiple privateers, which means reality there is you need uh, something that will attract the mainstream manufacturers and will attract the boutique manufacturers and will be accessible as well in some regard at a performance level that is achievable by the privateers. And I think reading what I have read that was discussed, there's a potential that we might get there. The other thing I'd say, John, is in the paddock and talking to some of these manufacturers, and particularly talking to some of the boutique manufacturers, this seems to be on a heading that they can actually get behind in the next half decade. You know, whereas previously, you know, it was just not a chance. I mean, the likes of McLaren, Aston Martin, you mentioned, I think there will be others as well that I think we might see stepping in and taking a look. So what are we going to see? It will be uh, if approved by the, the uh, World Motorsport Council, and it will be, mm. it'll be a single, I su- suggest to you, um, very powerful hybrid system. Um, the biggest change, though, will be the cars will look visually very different. Yes. This is not going to be um, uh, racing versions of the Aston Martin. La Ferrari Valkyrie. or the Valkyrie. No, no, no. But what you may see are cars that look as if they've got the visual cues of those. And the, the, um, there was an excellent interview, by the way, in Auto Ebdo with, um, uh, with Pierre Fion a week or so ago. Mm. And he was very clear on what he, uh, the direction was and what it wasn't. And what he said was, stay away from the hypercar idea, but, but get in touch with the idea that it may be these are going to be cars that are immediate visual cues that you will be able to spot the so, brand. So, so in, in, in today's terms... Are we talking yep. about something that you and I have actually said before? GTP, GT yes. prototypes, yes. Uh, revive the GTP name, and and what in 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 essence what I'm hearing from you here is that this is a a version of DPI except with technology and road relevant technology, which DPI doesn't have. DPI is very successful. It's not pretending to be relevant to the road. It's not pretending to break new ground in technology. And I'm not criticising that for that either, before anybody says anything. It is a particular fix, particularly a particular financial fix, that works very well for IMSA and for the US market. So what we're seeing here is a similar idea. Styling cues, very visual styling cues, very exciting, very aspirational-looking cars from aspirational brands that will have the pace that is quicker than a current LMP2 car. And we'll come on to what private is an LMP2 will do in the future next, um, but we'll be able to win Le Mans outright. Correct. So basically what you'd be looking at, if you're looking for a kind of a couple of ideas as to what we might be looking at here, uh, one of the uh, the cars that's been mentioned is the 1999 Mercedes-Benz CLR. Now, okay, in competition terms, that car had some unfortunate history, but in terms of the look, forget everything else, look at the car. 
whatever else that car was, it was definitely a Mercedes-Benz. Yeah. And that's the point. It's That's what the brands want, is not for us to get hooked into the kind of, oh, look, it's another red, white, and black prototype. <laughs> it's it's That's a Porsche. I, I have heard that red, white, and black are going to be banned from colour schemes by using them together as well in 2021. Oh, I hope so. <laughs> I genuinely do. But if we can get to the stage where you've got two, three, five manufacturers that get behind that possibility uh, that what you've got is something that's accessible but cutting edge technology that the performance levels are extremely high and those cars visually are something that they could put um, on a poster in the back of their showroom Hmm. uh, next to the road uh, going version of the same uh, the, the brands, uh, you know, extreme low cars. Yeah. Uh, so if you know, and if you've got that, let's say for the sake of arguing that that is McLaren, it might be Aston Martin, and you've got that side of it. Then you've got Toyota. Zero doubt, by the way, that Toyota want to stay part of this, oh. uh, this this story. And I think there's every reason to expect that we might well see Ford as well. Yep. Last conversation I had with Raj Nair from Ford Performance, and he's now uh, moved Raj, on, of course. Yes, indeed, making it very clear that um, the Ford GT program has got a limited lifespan. We knew that already, but I don't think we're going to see an extension to that. But that they are looking for global um, sporting programs and that they are interested in what can be done here. Uh, All of that's great. Let's say we get three, four, five manufacturers over the next three, four, five years, John, behind this. But then everybody's got to learn the lesson. And the big lesson that nobody's really learned here is they've got to activate this. Yeah. This has got to be better. And not just one of, manufacturer taking not just one manufacturer yeah. taking all the um, uh, all of the, the weight the, the, the weight of it. Yeah. And that I think is where if there's been uh, not errors made, but if there's been a miss here, that's been the missing part of the FIWC story. C- couple of th- is th- sorry, go ahead, go. That's okay. That's... A couple of things that I'll say before I pull us back to nearer to the present. I'm encouraged by so much of of what you're seeing, and I encourage everybody to go, by the way, to dailysportscar.com and read far more about this as Graham's gone through it in, in quite some detail, and we've barely scratched the surface here. I'm also encouraged that... Uh, it seems the ACO taking more centre stage and driving this and talking about Le Mans and some conversations that I've had recently uh, with people in the ACO in various different parts of the ACO. Um, it seems to me that the ACO feel they may have been taking a slightly back seat for a little while um, with the direction of what's going on and that the WEC has been rather too much front and centre and... I've used the phrase, they have not. The tail has been wagging the dog a little bit, and that tail would be the WEC, and the big dog, the very big dog, is always Le Mans, because Le Mans is Le Mans. And I'm encouraged by all of that, but that is still three, four years away. We have a clear and present danger, um, both in the WEC and the uh, 24 Hours of Le Mans, that needs to be looked at now, and needs some direction right now. Now, again, from conversations I've had recently, the LMP1 privateer regulations, as we are calling them, LMP1 non-hybrid is probably the right way to call it, have already been agreed for next year. The equalisation of technology between turbo cars and petrol cars have been agreed, and they will have the same uh, fuel regulations quite um, remarkably, actually, and surprisingly, I think, in some quarters and that will usher in or will it 
a new era of LMP1 privateer, Grim? I think there will be a new era of LMP1 privateer. It's how quickly that can happen. I should say, by the way, uh, you and I have talked about the the fuel allocation thing. Mm. I've not seen the figures yet. Uh, I think if that is the decision... The teams and manufacturers have... Yeah, I think if that is the decision they've come to, I think it's an incorrect one, is the straight answer. Um, and that comes directly via uh, input from one or two of the teams that are considering going down the road of LMP1 privateer in the very short term. So when will we see things happening? We will, without a shadow of a doubt, see some LMP1 privateer cars on the grid next season. We've you know already seen pictures of the Dallara being built for S&P Racing and mm. uh, to be campaigned by ART Grand Prix for them. Um, there's zero doubt we will see uh, Ginetta's on Plural. track. They've, yep, they've, they've uh, announced their first buyer, although they're in advanced conversations with others. Uh, there's zero doubt that we'll see the Ginetta on track as well by Collis, okay, but out and actually testing revised version of their car. I've got a question for you. Yeah. Uh, it, it's my understanding that all the current LMP1 privateer cars so Collis absolutely but that would also bring back into the fold potentially Bart Hayden and Rebellion with the Rebellion R1 Uh, and it's it's my understanding that that car is is still eligible uh, and potentially could be very very competitive indeed a beautiful piece of kit massive investment in that car by by Bart and by his his backers a beautiful thing and and you know will we see that back well (sighs) There's, there's all sorts of questions at the moment about what will happen. Be Delara, we know, okay. Ginetta, we know. By Collis, we know. Orica and Ligier are the other two that you've got to look to and say they surely must be interested if this is an emerging market. And yes, I think there's interest there. Whether or not they're in a position, are there enough to customers, Graham? That's the question. They're already ser- servicing to- LMP2 today. I don't believe there are. Right. I think at the moment, I think um, within the, the current uh, endurance racing family, I think you're talking maximum today a total of somewhere between three and possibly as many as six teams that have not yet declared what they're going to do. Mm. I should tell you that I believe the majority of that six will not be in a position to move in time for the eighteen nineteen season. And I agree. I agree. Uh, it's all come too quickly. It, it, it's it's remarkable in some respect, isn't it? You and I, um, several years ago, were um, very critical of the of the four chassis manufacturers in LMP2. I still think that is a mistake, and I still think the ACO and the WEC are reaping what they're sown there in terms of driving people out of business and out of the chassis business, like Stracker, like Dome, um, almost um, SMP. Uh, certainly one or two other people who were looking at their own chassis or, or doing them at the time. And it's it's a mark, though, isn't it, of how important Le Mans is? Because what we're talking about here is people who see an opportunity to win Le Mans outright with their chassis. And people like SMP, who really weren't treated very well in, at all uh, by the, the rules makers, like Janetta, uh, see my previous statement, they want to come back into a P1 category because it gives them the opportunity to win Le Mans outright. And that, to me, is something that the ACO should never forget, that that is the big race and people, no matter in some ways how badly they've been treated by the sport, will still want to come back and win it. Well, I'm going to, I'm going to spill back to something you said a little earlier, John, because I agree with you about the, the tailbagging the dog bit, but there's a slightly different take on it that I, I would uh, take, and it's got a 
big relevance to exactly what you've just been talking about with the four chassis thing. And it's this. I think what's been wagging the dog here is a push to progress too quickly. I think the push to progress and to, to increase the level of efficiency year on year just went too fast. That drove a development cycle that was just too quick for anybody else to get on the pony. That, that I think, is what has been the issue in terms of keeping the, um, the cabal of manufacturers that's why nissan had the the choice that they had to make and you know i you and i both spoke to darren cox about mm-hmm. this one the you know the, the the much maligned darren cox and i still think completely unfairly they made some bad decisions at critical parts of that program but actually their logic was completely correct they could not with the budget they had over the time scale they could get that program approved go head to head with an audio with a porsche they had to do something radically different and they chose to do something radically different they they trusted parts of that package for too long and were badly caught out. Put that aside. The big issue, I think, is this. What's been happening because of that push for technological development and the, the massive amount of uh, regulatory and administration and an engineering um, resource that was sucked into that process successfully, but what it did was it left them compartmentalizing the rest of the the, uh, the picture far too much. What that's left us with is a situation where, to be honest with you, from the position of several manufacturers, and now I'm talking about um, race car manufacturers, it simply doesn't make sense. I'll give you a great example. That great example, by the way, is Ginetta. We've talked about Mm -hmm. them. They've got this fabulous LMP1 project currently underway. They were the uh, first people to actually go into LMP3, made a success of that, which of course, Ligier and later Norma have actually gone on to do pretty well from, and they've withdrawn for the moment from that marketplace. But there's a gap, isn't there? They've got no P2, and they can't have a P2. Which means they've got no ladder. Which means that what what would happen here... From a business point of view, Grim, it means that if you get someone in with an LMP3 and they want to progress to LMP1, you've got to hand them off to another manufacturer, one of your competitors. Well, let's look at it. I mean, you know, the, the, uh, last year, we had four Ginetta LMP3s in the Asian Le Mans series. Two of the teams involved there, whether realistically or not were named by Ginetta as potential LMP1 customers. What's happening with those teams? Well, one of them is out there running Ligier P2 cars in the yeah. Asian Le Mans series this year. Yeah. Now, the reality there is it gives a massive, massive gap. For me, right now, my view is very simple. If you're going to step up and you're going to actually invest in the top class of the ACO's sports car um, ladder, you need to be given a license to go P2 racing as well. It's you beyond that, that. Grim. It's beyond that because what it does is, you know, Lawrence Tomlinson is a savvy, savvy businessman. Um, not having a P2 actually stops you selling P3 cars, even if you've got them out there, because people will look at that and say, if I buy a Leisure, I can move with Leisure through to P2. If I buy a Ginetta, I can't. Now, ultimately, there's a price cap. There's perceived... Per- performance potential but also there's development of your team your drivers your sponsors etc so that is all going to be part of the decision making process it has to be opened up it simply has to be opened up it was wrong it hasn't worked uh, despite the amount of p2s that we've got it hasn't worked and it's not good for the industry in a time when you need to be getting that industry behind other 
projects. Now, other projects, by the way, um, final question for me, because I know that you've got to go. Um, Graham Goodwin, editor at dailysportscar.com, if you hadn't realised here on, on uh, Midweek Motorsport. Um, in the short term, and we're talking shorter term, before those new regulations, does DPI have a global part to play in the solution, or is it purely an IMSA thing? And by that I mean, could that be brought along? Are we likely to see them at Le Mans in the short term? And longer term, what about a quote-unquote global solution? We have that with LMP2. We always have had, I, I would I would say, by the way. But in the short term in particular, DPI, does it have a role to play? Yes, but I think there are lots of provisos. Everybody that I've spoken to about this, in the small and the large manufacturers, and with very many of the teams, has used that word global. Global is incredibly important here. Why? Because the IMSA family have got a number of uh, very important races, and so does the WEC family and the ACO. The, the important races worldwide. Of course, manufacturers, and for that matter, teams, don't want to have to invest in two different cars. They'd like to actually be able to use those same cars in all of the great races. And Graham, they don't necessarily need to have those great races in the same championship either. No, they don't. If you look at the success of GT3, that's exactly why it's been successful, because you can build things like the Bathurst 12-hour, which is a, a phenomenon that actually everybody now wants to go and race at, whether you're a manufacturer or a driver. So, number one, I think it's highly encouraging that IMSA are looking beyond their current success story with DPI to what actually comes next. That is the sign of a mature rulemaking body. Mm. That is exactly what they should be doing. What happens, not next year, not the year after, because I'm sure they've got a short list of manufacturers looking to do some DPI uh, stuff in the next couple of years, but what happens in three to five years? What could this mean? Well, um, I know Scott Atherton has actually made public statements about perhaps bringing in some hybrid tech. I know there's been some fans that have found that disturbing because they've seen, if you like, the, the black headlines that we've all been looking at with LMP1. With or without hybrid, there's clearly got to be something in it for IMSA to have a global formula. Uh, I'd look at this this way. Is there any reason why those cars couldn't be the same car with, that, with a bolt-on hybrid system? Mm. Is there any reason why that couldn't be the case? Is that not mm. something that we could be looking towards further down the line here? Um, my view is global works for absolutely everybody. Whenever we've gone down the road of a rulemaker deciding we're going to do something very specific for our product because we want to keep our customers, it has failed. Okay, look at what happened. Well, look at what happened with Grandam and their initial GTD yeah, uh, yeah. side of things. It didn't work. You know, it, but you know, uh, what the, I would say, Graham, is there's horses for courses. And in an era where the FIA World Touring Car Championship is all but dead, British Touring Car, with their own set of regulations, uh, effectively servicing their own constituency, is is as good as it has been for, for many years. IMSA have taken a concept of a global LMP2 chassis, which you and I don't agree with. Um, however, they've made it work on a different level for them with limited manufacturer involvement and lots of manufacturer activation within the, the series. I'm not sure that that 
this is me. This is only me talking, but I'm not sure that that has to change for Imza. I th- I think if that's a peculiarly Imza thing, that's fine. And and if you look back in history, we've had Imza classes at Le Mans running as in Imza classes, not necessarily for the overall, but they've run at Le Mans. And and I don't see any issue with running DPIs at Le Mans if they're running an Imza class. What I think could be dangerous, and by this I mean dangerous for Imza, is giving their constituents the opportunity to go and play in a big race like Le Mans or on a global stage for a world championship, which won't Im- won't impress very many of them, but the ones that it might impress might then leave IMSA and go and do that. And that's not what that that series needs. It's uh, built up that- to a great spot at the moment. So in that, in that respect, I'd say different is not necessarily bad. Okay, well, great point. Very well made, John. The, the, I think you'd agree, though, the encouraging part here is they're part of the debate. What oh, yes, don't yeah, absolutely see, right. What we don't want to see here is two, you know, highly effective organisations. But, you know, I, I do want to say right now, forget all the nonsense that you have read about the reasons why LMP1 Hybrid is in trouble. Because actually what you want to be listening to is what we've been talking about 20 minutes ago in this conversation. Not the nonsense about it. It's 200 million uh, euros and that's what's killed it. It's not what's killed it. Um, the, the, the important thing here is we're going back to a bit of an age of maturity rather than where we've been over the last, I'd say, 6 to 12 months, which is just a little bit too much. Uh, looking after their own garden uh, on both sides of this, uh, where we've had individual people within both organisations falling out on a personal level. That's not healthy. They've they've worked hard to get around that, and we're now moving towards a situation where we can move forward, and there's either going to be agreement or there's not, or they'll, they'll come to some kind of uh, accommodation whereby we might find that whatever uh, replaces DPI uh, in a year or two or three years' time, or or, or rather uh, uh, evolves that, is welcomed at the Le Mans 24 hours. At the moment, the big big issue is this. Where does it sit in performance terms? Are they P1s? Are they P2s? Is it standalone class? Blah, blah, blah. Same debate, as far as I'm concerned, John, as the one that keeps coming around in the same kind of cycle, which is why don't we have GT3s at Le Mans? The reality is, at the moment, they don't fit. They don't fit. And uh, at the moment, what you've got is the ACO looking after their bigger products in the FIWEC. And the reality there is there is not one single DPI team or manufacturer that is interested in the FIWEC. And there's nothing different from the ACO and the WEC looking after their products than Scott Atherton and the IMSA boys looking after theirs. Uh, You know, we should adopt exactly the same rules in assessing the quality of those conversations in both directions. I completely agree. Graham, I know that uh, you've got flights to catch uh, and have a great weekend out in Asia. We'll speak to you next week. Cheers, John, and good night, everyone. And that's about all we have time for. Thank you, Graham. And uh, I, I suspect that we'll be returning to LMP1 in the short and longer term. Keep the tweets coming in to at and we'll pick that up in the next few weeks. Uh, whatever you're doing this weekend, enjoy your motorsport. Thanks to all of our guests and contributors, our executive producer, Tim Gray, up in London, and of course the responsible adult here, Rabbit Pie, absolutely fantastic. Uh, if you're down at Brands Hatch, do pop in and say hello. MSV Race Day, MSV Club Race Day, uh, with my three races, practicing qualifying Saturday, uh, sorry, qualifying and a race Saturday, and two races on Sunday in the Sang Young 
pickup trucks, which I'm very much looking forward to, as we mentioned earlier on. There's no time to explain because the Llama apparently is planning an LMP1 team. This programme is a Radio Show Limited production. Tell your friends there's more at RadioLamont.com.